we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Greetings and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Willow Truman. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. Something our listeners may or may not be surprised to learn about me is that I fucking love the country bears. Who are the country bears? You don't even know who they are? I've, I've seen some bears at the country. Okay. I mean... Granted, neither you or I have ever been to Disneyland or Disney World or anything like that. Unfortunately, but I, not. I'm still aware of them. You know, they have classic songs, Sequoia. Like? Mama Don't Whip Little Buford. What? Wait. Or My Woman Ain't Pretty, But She Don't Swear None. Oh, it's, they're from, they're from that kind of country. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they're country singing robot bears that perform in Disneyland. And while I've never seen them perform in person, I have seen the movie more than once there's a movie yes and it is without a doubt one of the best musical road comedies of all time it it did only gross 18 million dollars of its 35 million dollar budget but to me that that movie nay that film that (laughs) is priceless it's worth that 35 million dollars it's about barry barrington he's a fucking bear and his parents are humans and then one day he's like oh my god i'm adopted and it's like, Barry Barrington, you're a bear. And then he goes on this whole quest. It's great. Yeah. Why, why are we talking about the country bears? Um, first of all, I didn't discuss this with Sequoia beforehand. I don't know what's going on. But I am going to use our platform to bring attention to a very important issue. Oh, yeah? That is the rumored renaming of Liver Lips McGrowl to Romeo McGrowl. Wait, you can't get rid of Liver Lips. <laughs> exactly. That's bullshit. Besides for Zeb Zuber, Liverlips McGrowl has the best name of all the country bears, and they they just want to take that from us. Liverlips McGrowl. Yeah, it's, it's Romeo. Come on. Um, so no. So the country bears were the first ever animatronic music band, and the seed of inspiration behind our topic for today, which is Chuck E. Cheese, formerly Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater. Formerly Showbiz Pizza, formerly Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza, then Chuck E. Cheese's, and now it's just simply Chuck E. Cheese, but we'll see how long that lasts. That's what it should have been from the start. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Why are we talking about Chuck E. Cheese? So many reasons. (laughs) The E, by the way, it stands for entertainment, which makes their current trade name CEC Entertainment like all the more funny to me because that means that it stands for Chuck Entertainment Cheese Entertainment. Charles Entertainment Cheese. Yes. Um, <laughs> so over the last couple of weeks, as I've been, you know, coping with life's various challenges, Chuck E. Cheese has been both an anchor and a lighthouse for me. It's <laughs> the like most it's, insane shit anyone has ever said to me. I just, I've been imagining myself seated in a lotus position on a <laughs> rat shaped raft floating on the sea of possibilities. Oh no. Just, oh yeah. Um, an insane amount of hours have been spent learning about this company, the characters, <laughs> the fandom, the fanfic. Oh God. The fanfic. Is there fucking Chuck E. Cheese Rule 34? Oh, yeah. I oh, even no. watched the 1999 direct-to-video film, which we will be speaking about a little bit. Good. But where did it all begin? 
Like a lot of strange ideas, it arose in the middle of the 1970s when Atari co-founder Nolan Bushnell decided it was time to take gaming to the next level. Oh no. Right as the golden age of video games was taking off, Bushnell acted on what he saw as an opening in the market. And this opening was for arcade-oriented family restaurants that could double as distribution channels for his Atari games. He's <laughs> a clever man. He's ingenious. Yeah. And he had also noted the success of the pizza and pipes business model. It's pizza and pipes. Yeah, he decided that these arcade restaurants should be pizzerias. Do they mean the, the, the kid pipes? You know, I know everybody's wondering what the hell pizza and pipes I think they're are. talking about like the play place, the thing with the pipes. No. Climbing around also, in. It also has nothing to do with meth. But I'll tell you in a few minutes. Just be patient. Now it has a lot to do with both. <laughs> I, honestly, I... That's the only way I can rationalize why this exists is like people on cocaine in the like in the 70s um, yeah. or not even cocaine, but just some sort of uppers. They're, they're on something and they're they're cooking up schemes. Well, I mean, this has to be where the whole if it's called pizza and pipes, are you going to tell me where pizza and pipes comes from? Oh, I will. Oh, OK. OK. Like I said, just be patient, would you? All right. All right. You see, listeners and Sequoia in 1977, Bushnell had a grand vision these pizzerias would become the ground zero for a fusion between two expanding technologies, arcade gaming and computer programmed animatronics. And the star of the show? A powerful rat named Charles Entertainment Cheese. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a beautiful vision in the beginning. It, it, a very strange vision. Yeah. But similar to Liverlips McGrawl's transformation into Romeo, which will, will never happen if I have anything to do with it, something has changed about our boy Chuck over the years. Actually, a lot has changed. The Charles Cheese Enterprise is a shadow of its former self. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. They don't even have animatronics anymore. They got rid of them all. Really? And not only that, but the lore has been watered down into nothing. I mean, that's not to say that there's not a huge fandom out there. Tons of wikis and tons of, of YouTube videos. Oh, I bet the Chuck E. Cheese fandom is fucked up. It's it's very interesting. It's a mix of like Five Nights at Freddy's kids that have come across it and like gotten into what? old okay. like animatronic lore, romanticizing it. I'm so fucking old, dude. And, and people I don't know what that, the like, hell is going on. This is my moment. It. This yeah. is my breaking moment right now. I don't fucking, I, that's when I've said it. It's recorded. That's what so it when, happened. When you think of Chuck E. Cheese nowadays, like, what do you think of? What is its legacy to you? Ah, uh, the fading dream of youth. Yeah, and it's <laughs> kind of just gross. Definitely. I just associate yeah. it with, like, just germ-filled, yeah. like, I don't know, grossness. No, no, that, like, that, I never, I've never been to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> I think I went once. I don't think it was a good time. I was a Discovery Zone kid. Because mm -hmm. they had the toys you could really hurt yourself on. Oh, I liked yeah. I liked the uh, the the pipes, the mouse fucking play play places thing. I like crawling around in the tubes, yeah, and lost and shit. To me, like Chuck E. Cheese now is just I don't know. I look upon it with like sadness. It's sad and disgusting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Nobody thinks about how how that rat actually represents it, an age of technological ingenuity. Why is there a rat selling you food? Why indeed? <laughs> Why not? Is the better question. Oh, I give it. You know, I don't like rats. To me, Chuck E. Cheese, it, he represents an era of very questionable, perhaps cocaine-fueled business decisions. C like, certainly cocaine-fueled. Yeah. Like, um, for example, manufacturing way more Uncle Clunk robots than anyone ever <laughs> wanted. Just going broke on the Uncle Clunks. How many Uncle, how many Uncle Clunks 
<laughs> How many Uncle Clunks do I want? I think None. one is good. I think one in existence one is, is probably good. One is more than enough. Yeah. Like, nobody even knows who the Rock of Fire explosion is, unless you're a hardcore fan. The Rock of Fire explosion? The Rock of Fire explosion. Okay. See, you don't know who they are. No idea. You didn't even know who the Country Bears were. I have no Which idea. Which means you clearly don't know about the... <laughs> the country bears knockoff the the bear country jubilee that preceded the rock of fire explosion strangely enough that's the one i have heard of yes then the, there were the hard luck bears so before we finally do our tarot pull for the episode sequoia would you please read off the names of the hard luck bears billy wilbur billy bill billy boy billy bob choo choo <laughs> Pete and repeat Thornsberry, <laughs> Mama Grandbags, and Goonie Bird. Yup. <laughs> Fucking Goonie Bird. Bit of trivia for you. In the Italian version of the show, um, Goonie Bird is known as Francesco. <laughs> yeah. Also, I had a fun little um, coincidence happen the same day that I learned about Pete and repeat Thornsberry. Yeah. I also learned that um, Hal Smith, famous voice actor, had a, a role in um, a short-lived series called The Pancake Man that oh, starred no. characters named Pete and Repeat. So I learned about two sets of Pete and Repeat. How about a... How's that for a feedback loop? Um. <laughs> oh, my parents used to fuck with me with the, the Pete and Repeat thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Fucking... But yo, so I don't know. Here's another old guy moment. I feel like I feel like I'm looking at all these kids with their iPads, and their Minecraft, like what garbage they put in their heads. What the fuck is this? What? What were we? What were we, be, we being shown? Goonie Bird. Fucking Goonie Bird. Goonie Bird is good for children. Goonie Bird's not good for children. No, 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 no. no. That's debatable. Um, <laughs> I don't okay. know about. I don't know about Goonie Bird. So the the lore behind Charles Entertainment Cheese is yeah. massive and silly as hell, and okay. I can't wait to share more of it. Excellent. But we do have to pull our tarot cards yes, for this week. We got the devil. <laughs> <laughs> it's so oh, perfect. No. Especially because we had a whole conversation about the devil tarot card before this. We did. Uh, fucking recording this on New Year's Eve, in the middle of Capricorn season. Yep. There couldn't be a better time to talk about the rat. The fucking rat. I don't know. I hate rats. If you've never read the Dark Tower series, Stephen King's, right? I have not. Dude, I'm going to highly fucking recommend the first four of those and finish the series if you like it. But at the very, the first four, and especially the third, most insane, best shit you'll ever read in your life is so fucking good. And I'm not really a Stephen King fan. Anyway, in the third one, which is there's a giant mechanical bear that is like a a primary terror in the early part of the of the novel and I'm, it was written like when this shit was big and i feel like that was the dream image that, that Stephen bear King was, was talking totally about totally based on billy bob yeah Bob. yeah yeah what's his last name broccoli oh it's based on bob brock but also like broccoli like the vegetable a bear named broccoli man you're gonna have a fucking lame he's like a big old hillbilly bear there's actually oh, a song no. you can find on youtube of him singing um I Ain't Gay, original song by the creator of the Rock of Fire Explosion. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa, indeed. Okay. So, um, let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greetings, children and children of the mind. We are reflection denied, but today I am a vessel for the eponymous rodent, Charles Entertainment Cheese. 
And I for Jasper, Tennessee Gals. Join us on a soundscape of pizza, game, and soulful longing. I reached self-concept at the pizza plex. I forgot my taste and smell. Games and sauce, games and sauce. Okay. My goodness. Yeah. Um, Saturday Night Live, what are you doing? I did not enjoy any second of that, but I couldn't not include it because that was a clip of Benedict Cumberpatch. Whoa. On SNL, starring as Jasper Tennessee Jowls and then some other SNL guy as as Chuck E. Cheese. But Benedict Cumberpatch as Jasper Tennessee Cumberpatch? Jowls. Yeah. What what what's his la- I what's his last name? Cumberbund? <laughs> it's Cumberbatch, I think. Benedict Benedict Cumberpatch. Cumberbatch? Cumberbatch. <laughs> I got it right. No, you're saying Cumberpatch. Cumberpatch. Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a funny he's a name. true actor he'll he'll be whatever i want him to be have you seen oh, that yeah. clip of of him being the dragon in the hobbit where he's no. like it's him inside of the motion capture suit roaring like a dragon and like crawling around on the ground it's so fucking funny but yeah they're like that's an snl sketch of some 80s new wave Chuck E. cheese thing i d- like that i don't know what they were thinking there or is that just how the information packet that is Charles Entertainment Cheese has infected the zeitgeist in this, the year of our Lord, 2024. As it should. <laughs> I enjoyed seeing, what's his name? Fucking, um, who's the Keenan and Kel dude? Keenan or Kel? Keenan. What's his last name? <laughs> I don't know. Thompson. Yeah, I enjoyed seeing um, Keenan Thompson as, as Mr. Munch. An unappreciated Chuck E. Cheese character that I didn't even know about until I started doing this episode. I don't know a goddamn thing about this Who the fuck is shit? Mr. Munch? All right. Where did Bushnell, Nolan Bushnell, co-founder of Atari, how did he come up with this harebrained scheme, first of all? Well, he'd always been an inventor with cutting-edge ideas. One time, he nearly burnt down his family's garage while making homemade rocket fuel. Hell yeah. Yes, he graduated with an MBA from Stanford University, and he found himself working as a manager at a local amusement park arcade. And during that time, he would watch and learn about early versions of arcade games, which, you know, originally, I feel like the precursor to arcade games is like carnival games. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. And then so like combining carnival games with computer stuff and like bringing it into a a new age, which, you know, Disney had been doing for a long time. And pinball. Yeah. And And pinball. Pinball. And skee-ball. Skee-ball. Yeah. Interesting history behind skee-ball, but that's neither here nor there. This this whole, his experience working um, at this local amusement park arcade, combined with his engineering experience, pushed him into an interest in early electronic games. So he's working at this electronics company, Ampex, and he meets this other dude, Ted Dabney. And the two of them share an interest in gaming. So Bushnell takes Dabney over to the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Laboratory <laughs> to show him Space War. That's where you go. Yes. All right. Space War is like this early arcade game. And this inspires both men to found Syzygy, which is a company designed to make <laughs> arcade games. And they create this early space shooter called Computer Space. And it's kind of a commercial failure, but they're they're not discouraged. Okay. They feel like their next game needs to be a bit more simple. Something that could be understood by even idiots. Hmm. So Bushnell and Dabney found another company, this one called Atari. And one of the first projects of this small company was to take a Magnavox Odyssey game and turn it into a coin operating system. And that game ultimately turned into Pong. 
and the rest is history. Right. Okay. So desperate for more capital to create more home video game systems in 1976, Bushnell sells Atari, the company, to Warner Communications for $28 million. He pockets a hot $15 million from the sale, but ultimately regrets it, saying the biggest lesson that he learned at Atari was to never sell to big Hollywood studios. Because this sale almost immediately marked the downfall of the business. He says, Atari had an extraordinary corporate culture that was destroyed within two years of the sale. I think that Atari would still be important today if that sale hadn't occurred. First of all, Atari is still important today, but I get what he means. It, it went from being like a, a smaller owned business where they could have beer on tap at work and he was like the cool right. guy boss yeah, yeah, yeah. to now it's like a big old corporate thing. Now... Along with becoming the parent of Atari, Warner Communications also gained rights to this idea, a concept, that Bushnell had been cooking up for a while. Oh, no. Now we're back to pizza and pipes and the birth of Charles Entertainment. Pizza and pipes. Yes. So in 1962, ye old pizza joint in Hayward, California was... you, it's not that old. (laughs) It's... That's the California lie. Yeah, ye old... First of all, it can't be that old if you're cooking up pizza, because I don't think pizza is that old. California definitely ain't that old. Yeah. Especially like, like that's less than 100 years. You can't have the old with an E on Nothing in America is ye old. Yeah. Jesus. They're the first to put the pizza pizza and pipe organs together. Yeah. And by the mid-1970s. Yeah, pipe organs. You can't just say they're the first to put it together. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, that old. Pizza and why are they together in the first place? Why are they together? I think it has to do with um, a bunch of Italians coming over here. (laughs) And then, well, no, I I think that does have to do with it. I think that it has to do with um, a fusion of like, because what, what, what do pipe organs represent, right? Around this time, 30 years prior, they were almost like the original computer because they were this this device that could be hooked up to a whole bunch of different things and create sound that could fill a cathedral, fill yeah, a whole yeah. building, but like with a something that seems relatively uncomplicated, but is programmed to connect to all of these different bigger components. So in a way, it's like a one man band. Yeah. Um, and pipe organs are also implicitly connected to the dawn of Hollywood and of entertainment as a whole. Yeah, because like what oh, I don't know enough about pipe organs. I, I guess they're generally they were generally played during silent era movies yeah. because you have the accompaniment going on. So a lot of these theaters that, you know, probably at one time were um, like actual theaters, but then con- like changed hands to be a movie theaters. They still have that that space for either like an orchestra, but an orchestra is not going to be playing with every single movie. So what do you have? You have your right. movie theater pipe organ player that plays the pipe organ while the movies play. Right. So pipe organs have sort of this legacy in America, in California in particular, as being connected to like the dawn of mass media and entertainment. Yeah, well, it is. It's it's connected to, you know, the information age and cybernetics and this shit. Right. Like, and meanwhile, you also have like a lot of images Immigrants, like Italian immigrants opening up restaurants and things like right, that. Right, right, right. So it's kind of like, the, and, and also being involved in the entertainment industry. Uh, so it's kind of like this fusion of, I don't know, like 30 years after the, the dawn of, of this new age of. And also, if you're trying to sell a lot of pizzas, the philosophy of pipe organs, I guess, that was being used was one of scalability. Mm-hmm. Right. And like cybernetics and shit. One person being able to do a whole bunch of shit. Yeah. Which is how you're trying, how you're going to sell a bunch of fucking bad pizzas 
Oh yeah, being able to produce pizza. And it was usually a hall style too, like like long yeah. style tables where families would like sit together, and so it's sort of like this gigantic hall or almost like a theater atmosphere where you can listen to the pipe organ and eat a pizza because it takes time for the pizza. And if you've got a fucking bunch of kids, just like a ton of kids, if you're selling pizzas at that scale. They're going to cause a ruckus. Oh, yeah. you got to have something to keep them entertained. Right. Yeah. So by the mid-1970s, this trend catches on. There's pizza and pipe organ places everywhere. I asked you to explain where that came from, and you just you just laid it down in a very fucking interesting <laughs> way. That <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. There's some good uh, sources online. Wow. So by the 1980s, there's close to 150 pipe organ pizzerias in North America, but less than two decades later, nearly all of them are gone. Which is unfortunate, but yeah. there, there are a few remaining. Heather Anderson writes of her experience at one of these restaurants. Organ Grinder Pizza in Portland, Oregon was the first to serve me pizza that wasn't a frozen Totino's. Its most memorable menu item was a hamburger-topped taco pizza called the Percussion, to be exact, and it was served under the twinkling light of disco balls to the euphony of live organ music. Seated on a platform in the middle of the dining room sat a gleaming, gilded organ played by the Liberace du jour, accompanied by a mechanical monkey playing the cymbals. The organ was a four-manual Wurlitzer with 51 ranks and nearly 4,000 pipes. There were arcade games in the back of the restaurant, and Gilding the Lily was a hurdy-gurdy player stealing kisses from a real-life capuchin monkey named Pizza Pete, <laughs> who jumped around the dining room, tipping his hat to the audience members and shaking them down for cash with his little tin cup. This sounds so magical. Yeah! I would, yeah. like, come on now. You got a little monkey named Pizza Pete running around? Fucking hurdy-gurdy. Yeah, you got a hurdy-gurdy player. Dude, I, I, I went to the um, the Clockwork Museum in Utrecht, the Netherlands, and they had the whole downstairs with like the mechanical bands, mm-hmm. the automated bands and shit, and like from like, like I love my analog synthesizers and shit. That was so cool. Yeah, that a lot of these wild. um these organ and, and pizza places incorporated small-scale animatronics and like puppetry into their, their organ playing. Pizza is food as entertainment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's part of the entertainment industry. That type of like, the pizza place that was a thing once. A real right. pizza place became a neighborhood staple, which turned it into an icon, which then capitalism took and turned into pizza, the entertainment. Oh, yeah. And hence comes Chuck E. Cheese out of the whole, the pizza and pipes with the other cybernetic automation of, mm-hmm. whoa, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I'm scared again. <laughs> so I can totally see why Nolan Bushnell walking into these places is inspired by the pizza and pipes model, because like I said, pipe organs are extremely complex. So if you're into electronic gaming, like engineering, you're looking at a pipe organ yeah. and you're probably just getting a rock hard because like <laughs> what a, a feat of engineering. So to appreciate just how complex they are, let's check out the organ at a place called Organ Stop Pizza in Mesa, Arizona. I fucking love where this episode's at right now, by the way. This is fantastic. <laughs> this is beautiful. This, Each what night the at fuck Organ Stop Pizza at? in Mesa, the largest theater pipe organ ever created rises above the audience and plays for a 700-seat dining room. We're actually one of the largest freestanding restaurants in Arizona, and we are home to the very largest Wurlitzer theater pipe organ in the world. This 1927 Wurlitzer organ is huge. 6,000 pipes, over a thousand. It's glorious. That's the greatest thing I've ever seen, by the way. That is the most beautiful object I've ever seen. If we seen have any listeners near Mesa. We, we, we got to get Mr. Stephen James Buckley of the Vase Podcast in on a scheme. 
we need some time alone with that fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is it's beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> it's gorgeous. So yeah, um, 30 miles from the original ye old pizza joint, Nolan Bushnell was developing the concept for the first Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater in what would later become Silicon Valley. He told Alexis Madrigal of The Atlantic. It was my pet project. I started it inside Atari. My objective was to vertically integrate. Oh, Jesus, here we go. <laughs> was to vertically integrate the, the market. We were selling coin-operated games at about 1500 to 2000 a pop. In their life, they'd make fifteen dollars to $20,000. It didn't take rocket science to say I'm on the wrong side of the equation. I didn't want to compete with the people I was selling to, but the game operating business is all about securing locations. So the way to not compete with them was to secure my own locations. The original genesis was to create a big arcade with food as a support structure, almost as an ancillary service. Okay, so exactly what I, yeah. Yep. Whoa. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I chose pizza because of the wait time and the build schedule. Jesus Christ. The build schedule. Jesus fucking Who Christ. Who talks about food like that? This is sick. This is this is very mechanized mind. This is eldritch horror that I'm reading right now. This is so bad. Only eldritch horror could produce Chuck E. Cheese. As as someone with a, a, a decent amount of Sicilian ancestry, fuck you. The wait time and the you. build schedule. I hate you so much. Very few components and not too many ways to screw it up. You son of a bitch. If the dough is good, the cheese is good, and the sauce is good, the pizza is good. Son of a bitch. I didn't have any preconceived idea that I knew how to run an, a, res, a restaurant, but I knew simple was better. I'm quaking you know with rage right now at this actually, point. Actually, insulting. Actually, Mr. Bushnell, the dough being good, the cheese being good, and the sauce being good is not good enough. It's not because good enough. if that pizza is not made with love, I can taste it. Goddamn right. And anyone that fucking uses the term build schedule does not know what makes a, a dough good. It's not know what makes no. the sauce good. No. You got to put more shit on there. It's not just sauce and cheese, you piece of shit. That's, it was never about the pizza for him. It was never about the pizza. And that's what makes it <laughs> the most tragic. <laughs> so, so what's the deal with the animatronics? Like, why, why that? It's the same approach to childlike whimsy. Yes. You sick bastard. The synthesis came along because there was a pizza parlor called Pizza and Pipes. It basically resurrected a Wurlitzer theater organ and the place was packed when they had organists that actually played the thing. And I thought, there is a demand for some kind of entertainment to go along with the pizza, but I'm not going to have something that needs a player, and I'm not going to do something that requires finding and restoring an antique. And sometime as I was doing this, I went to Disneyland and went to the Tiki Room. It was Disney's animatronics. I said, that's pretty simple. I bet I can get my engineers to knock that out. <laughs> you, you son of a bitch. The reason I don't like this man. <laughs> the reason for doing the animals, believe it or not, was not for the kids. It was meant to be a head fake for the parents. Kids are really smart at knowing how to play, how to play their parents. And the kids knew that if they said, I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese and play games, the parents would just see themselves spending money. But they said, I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese Entertainment and it's free. They'd be bound to go. Yeah, because that's why all the kids were going there was to go see uh, the Chuck E. Cheese animatronic. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I bet it's a pretty... Probably 70-30 split between kids that did not fucking care about the animatronics at all and were simply there for the arcades and and just for that. The other percentage was apeshit about the animatronics, like loved them. But most kids probably either indifferent or terrified. As they should be. As they should. <laughs> so yeah, he... Bushnell's idea is... 
I'm going to take these other ideas. I'm going to fuse them together. I'm going to get my engineers on it and we're going to make a pizza time theater. It's a cybernetically engineered restaurant. I don't want to hire an actual musician or go have to get an organ, which by the way, that's why those halls were packed. Because first of all, to see a person playing a Wurlitzer organ, not yeah. in a church yeah. and not in, in like some huge cathedral or something, that's a spectacle. That's, that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. yeah, that's a thing that's worth like buying a, a $15 pizza for. That fucker moves air. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a cool communal experience. It's why you go anywhere with live music, but especially a place with a gimmick like that. It's it's the gimmick. Yeah. And it's also cool that it's a person up there doing it. Now, I think animatronics are also really cool, though. Definitely. But the thing is, how as as an adult, you know, that's that's the thing. Who's going to see that? So Bushnell realizes like if you've this never is, seen animatronics before, you're going once. This is for the kids, right? Yeah. And I think the 80s was kind of a a time in marketing where people really realized like, oh shit, now that like kids are watching TV more than ever, we can use marketing, we can use TV shows to promote toys, we can really get in these kids' brain and get them to go to their parents and say, I need this, I want that. Well, you're starting to see the, um, you know, the thing that started with Edward Bernays' um she talked about in our bonus episode on Edward Bernays, uh, with like pa- gr- the capitalist. The, I fucking hate sounding like a communist because I'm not, but the the capitalist machine, mm-hmm. the entity that is capitalism, starts pulling into culture and processing it, right, and, and realizing it like, back to you. oh, these children are consumers that will be around in forty years yeah. and have an attachment yeah. to Chuck E. Cheese as a brand. And and the eighties is when you start seeing that reach into like deep childhood experience yeah and and realizing that kids are like this untapped consumer market that can really be yeah yeah, edged in on it's uh it's dangerous to not recognize yeah yeah so right around this time as bushnell is coming up with ideas for his restaurant concept he attends a trade show in orlando the international association of amusement parks and attractions (laughs) and there's a group there selling costumes bushnell sees one that he likes and at the time, the operating code name for his restaurant concept was Coyote Pizza. Dun, dun, dun. That's the, so much fucking better. Yeah, the trickster spirit coming in here. I love it. Why? I'd buy a pizza for my coyote. I have many times. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> for a rat? <laughs> Sir, you don't understand pizza. It just yeah. shows that this whole operation is soulless from the ground up. You read... I was thinking that before, but no, he also rejected coyote pizza. Okay, it's, no, here's here's what goodness. happened. Here's what happened. Please go go ahead and right. uh, speak for Mr. Bushnell. All right, I'll speak for his. Uh, I saw this coyote costume. I went over, gave them my credit card, and had them ship it to the restaurant. I knew my guys could make him talk. What? <laughs> I knew my guys could make him talk. Yeah, excuse so I was me. Like a fucking gangster. I didn't know if they could make anything that looked like a coyote. Now I had my coyote. Later on, I went to where my guys were working and said, how's the coyote coming? And they said, what coyote? You sent us a rat costume. And I said, I'll just change the name to Rick Rat's Pizza. This guy doesn't give a fuck. He does. Wow. Like not a single fuck. First of all, so the the costume comes in and it has like a big old rat tail on, like a long pink tail. And they're like, what are you talking about a coyote? You ordered a rat. And this is, this is the costume that he saw in person and walked up to them and was like, send me this costume. Like, like how clueless are you? Whoa. 
Is this man a robot? <laughs> Maybe. So clearly Rick Rat's pizza did not survive long as an idea, but Bushnell was not deterred. He says, What if he's a rat, but you don't call him a rat? You name it. I told them, you, I, I don't give a shit what it is, but it has to be happy. <laughs> a week later, they said, we got the name. And not only is it happy, it's triple happy. Chuck E. Cheese. You can't say one of those. You can't say each one of those without smiling. Yeah, it's triple happy. Right. Get it? Because you say cheese when you take a picture. It makes you smile. Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, I don't There's know. so many people that need to die. I wish that we were in the Rick Rat Pizza universe or even the Coyote Pizza universe, but yeah, yeah, fine. Least, I guess we're in Chuck E. Cheese universe. At least be honest about yourself. I know. You know? He was actually, briefly, for a brief time, he was going to be the Big Cheese. That's but, better. But Marriott Hotels said, no, we have the rights to the Big Cheese. You can't take that from us. Mar Marriott Hotels is... um. What did they ever use it for? Marriott Hotels is... uh. A business with notorious mob connections. That's really funny that they own the right to the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful, actually. Yeah, I know. They're like, fuck off, rat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got the big cheese. <laughs> so once Warner Communications obtained the Pizza Time Theater concept during their acquisition of Atari, they generously debuted one location. The first ever Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater opened in San Jose, California in 1977. And they said, fuck you, Bushnell. That's it. One and done. That's all you get. I love that they bankrolled this. But I know. They were like, I thought it was going to be Coyote Pizza. And then you got Rick Rat. And now what? what is it now? Chuck E. Cheese? Okay, fine. So Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater. They're not allowing it to expand, but Bushnell believes in this idea so much, he's desperate to expand, so he decides to repurchase the rights back from Warner Communications for $500,000 so that he can get the concept and the characters and immediately begin expanding, which he does. And by the end of December 1979, there are seven Pizza Time Theater locations, six in California, one in Nevada. Now, let's talk about this first location. Instead of the full-body animatronics we might expect and imagine in our minds, this location utilized half-bodied characters perched in photo frames lining the walls. So in order to see the show, you would have to crane your neck around and watch these framed characters coming out of, of frames talking to one another. This is bad podcasting, but I do have a clip to show you, Sequoia. surprise to anybody that we got a birthday number coming up here. Well, it's a surprise to me. I didn't even get a present. Me neither, Big C. That's because it's not your birthday, Nitwit. Oh, oh yeah! Cheese, yeah. <laughs> folks, I gotta tell you, it's a tough way to make a living sitting up This is Chuck E. Cheese, a computer animated rat with a New Jersey accent. <laughs> He's the master of... Yeah, oh, he is yeah. the master of ceremonies. Dude, that's racist as shit. Come on, man. <laughs> what is? The New Jersey rat? Yeah. He's smoking a cigar too. Yeah. I love it. It's like I don't know. I'm mad. I hate this guy. I'm I, like I didn't realize how much I hated the entity of Chuck E. Cheese and what it represented. <laughs> Why is it? It's everything bad. It's soulless. Yeah, is what it is. The agency of soullessness acting upon the world. <laughs> it yeah, is, it is. It is a. It is a soulless thing acting upon childhood development. 
Yeah. Although oh, that's exactly why I hate it. Fuck that thing. I do. I enjoy the original Chuck E. Cheese with like the oh yeah boy thing. Like like it's funny. It's ridiculous. It's not childhood friendly entertainment. It's nothing like I don't, I'm offended. It doesn't it, feel like it was funny. actually made with kids in mind. No, not what well, do the whole atmosphere of, like, of the restaurant too. Like it's yeah. all wood paneled. It's dark in there. I thought we were and in the eighties for a second. Like and it's seventy seven. Yeah, 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 dude. Dark time. It's the and the vibe in there is just like strange. Yeah. Too. Again, it's like picnic tables where you're just forced to sit with other people and you get your pizza and then it's bleak these, and cynical. Yeah. yeah. My favorite character though. Um, I don't. I don't know if you saw her in the clip, but there's Helen Henny. She's like this hippie bird. She gets a makeover. They bimbo-fied her. Like something happened to her. She looks very different now, and I, I don't care for her her character redo. I like the original H Helen Henny who was in the frame. Mm. So I will say that they got that one right. They're creepy as shit, all of them. Yeah. That's the other thing, too, is that they all exist in the uncanny valley. Like yeah. they don't... They don't look like something that you would want to hug and and kiss. But then then again, neither does like think about what Yogi Bear would look like in person. But he doesn't look like that in person. In person, he is a fucking cartoon. Right. So when you try to make a cartoon into an animatronic. Yeah. It's like there's something wrong there. Like a cartoon is just meant to exist on a screen in imagination land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to see it right in front of you is like, oh, whoa. Well, and especially like a cartoon and original animation, especially everything's always moving. It's constant right. motion everywhere, right? Whereas like animatronics. These things are janky. Like their eyelids are opening and closing in different intervals. Like they're they're. Eyes are not operating the same. So it's motion. Yeah. It's like movement and then stillness and then movement and then stillness. Like a clock ticking rather than like right. low of it's time. It's just not quite there. Right. Which is why animation is like dreamlike and magical and wonderful and animatronics are creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also why claymation and stop motion has like kind of a layer of sort of uncanniness to it. Because if it's if the frame rate is like ever so slightly off, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. sense like that that click in between time, that non-fluid motion that makes something seem just a little bit off and weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is totally what these animatronics are doing. So before we go any further, I want to talk about the technology behind America's favorite rat, which is probably a generous title, but like Honestly, I dare you to think of America's a favorite rat is Master Splinter. Okay. Fair enough. I didn't even think of him. I thought about Templeton, but nobody even knows who the fuck that is, probably. No idea. Master Splinter. What about the... I don't even know the name of the rat from Ratatouille. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Master Splinter. Okay. Chucky can take... Is he America's favorite rat? I don't know. Is he anyone's favorite anything? He is, evidently. But I don't think there's a more famous rat than he. Also, I, I don't think most people even know that he's a rat. I think most people assume that he's a mouse. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I think if you pulled... I did. Pull, like, 20 random people. Do it. <laughs> yeah, he's a rat. Do it. Just ask them. Like, next time you're out grocery shopping, turn to the person behind you in line. Be like, yo... <laughs> Is Chuck E. Cheese, like, what species is he? And they're going to say probably... Mouse? Mouse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to be like, nah, man. That dude's a rat. He's a fucking rat a from the joint. a big brown rat. That's so gross. They spread disease. Yeah. That's why That's why they, they changed it. That's so cynical. Rick Rat's pizza. It's cynical food. I hate it. <laughs> so, a little bit about the history of animatronics. The modern 
era of animatronics began in 1961-ish, when Walt Disney started developing what he called audio animatronics. Okay. And let me tell you, they looked good. One experiment done by Disney and his Imagineers was called Project Little Man. They filmed Buddy Ebsen doing a dance and then created a nine-inch tall figurine to copy the movements of this dance. We'll see a video clip of that in a second because the fluidity of the movements is really quite impressive. But first, a fun fact. Buddy Ebsen was the original actor cast as the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. Okay. But unfortunately, 10 days after filming, he um, had to be hospitalized because he got really sick from all of the aluminum dust makeup all over him. But he was like a famous dancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, But he's also immortalized through uh, Project Little Man. So there's a little old Hollywood factoid for you. Interesting. So yeah, let's take a look at some of Disney's early animatronics, including Project Little Man and the birds from the Enchanted Tiki Room that inspired Bushnell to get an idea of like what what their level of craftsmanship is. Audio animatronics was an idea of Walt Disney's. He became interested in taking animation from a two-dimensional form and moving it into a three-dimensional form. He experimented with a number of ways to move small figures. The audio animatronics figures in the Haunted Mansion were some of the most technically demanding ever created by the Imagineers. Although the characters are spirits and ghosts, the trick was to make them realistic and lifelike as well. Send us a message from somewhere beyond. Early on, Walt filmed Buddy Ebsen doing a dance routine. He then worked with engineers to duplicate the dance with a small figure manipulated with cams and wires. Now, these are not working from tape. These are manually controlled. This little gizmo here, kind of like a joystick on the old type airplanes, is what gives us a chance to program the birds. And as we work this and get all the little movements that we want in the bird out, we record it on the tape. And then from then on, the tape will do everything that we've done here. Sit down, we'll have a little uh, go at this thing. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder if they did something to the film, like change the film speed at that point to... <laughs> I don't know. It looks so good, though. Yeah, no, it looks insane. So I can definitely see why these enchanted tiki birds and the work of Disney in general would inspire Nolan Bushnell, especially at working in um, theme parks. I think the difference is like Disney has become a force of uh, a terrifying eldritch force of its own right by monopolizing childhood. Mm-hmm. Right. But... I think that when you look at Disney, you don't see the same level of cynicism that you see in Chuck E. Cheese. I see hopefulness, actually. I think that Walt Disney... Maybe a misguided hopefulness, ex- but exactly, I see it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's, yeah, like politically, nah, not my guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. but he, that dude had hope right. for what he was doing. So like Bushnell's animatronics, they're hilarious and cartoonish and soulless. Yeah. And to me, they're a far cry from what Disney Imagineers were putting together a decade or so prior. Yeah. You know, like yeah, there's yeah. just when you look at the Abe Lincoln animatronic that that Disney brought to the 64, 65 New York World's Fair, it's stunning. Like it looks yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Maybe up close it's not perfect, but like it performs well as a human animatronic. The bird used in Mary Poppins that we just saw a little clip of it's very good evidence for the birds aren't real crowd if you know that that's not it's really fucking good um so now that we've paid our respects to the mouse which we must do or else i gotta say birds are the animal you would go for to make it look hyper realistic oh yeah because they move in that 
jerky, fast totally. stop way. Looks really fucking good though. The way the feathers moved. Impressive. Like yeah, I yeah. said, we've paid our respects to the mouse. So like I said, we have to do or else. Now we can acknowledge that the idea and creation of mechanized beings and automata predates Disney by centuries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's just the age of modern, like, animatronics, computerized engineering as we know it. Yeah. But actually, yeah, yeah. stories of, like, living statues, things coming to life can be found throughout Egyptian legends, Greek mythology. Uh, 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 Byzantium. I forget what period of the Byzantine, like, under what emperor it was, but... There was a time in which uh, Byzantium had like these crazy animatronic fucking robots in the throne room. And mm -hmm. you were just greeted with like these uh, controlled by like water wheels and shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is such was such a flex for so long. Of course. And I'm I have no doubt that like those things existed. You've also got like the mythological tale of um, Talos, Talos. Yeah. The giant bronze automaton that would circle the shores of Crete three times a day to guard Europa, who was a, a Phoenician princess and the mother of King Minos. Um, yeah, this giant bronze statue thing would circle the island to protect her from ne'er-do-wells. Then there's also the story of uh, Daedalus, the father of Icarus, yeah. who used Quicksilver to bring a wooden statue of Aphrodite to life, which, you know, Quicksilver, Mercury, it makes sense, symbolically speaking, why infusing a, a wooden being with Mercury, with the spirit, yeah, it would yeah. bring it to life, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this idea of, like, bringing life to machines or non-living things is just, it's eternal, you know? Like, we've yeah. always had this fascination with this idea. Oh, it's like we were saying on the cybernetics episode, it's like Norbert Wiener didn't invent anything. He gave usable language to something. Right. And he described something that uh, has been going on forever. The idea of like manipulating the motion inherent in the world to different ends mm -hmm. or to specific ends. Right. Yeah. Which is rad. So going from mythology to actual like history, I learned that Leonardo da Vinci created the plans for a mechanical walking lion that was presented to the King of France in 1515. There's oh, yeah. a recreation of it. It's really beautiful. And then also in France, but 249 years later, the digesting duck was unveiled. The digesting duck? Yes, in 1764. It was a mechanical duck that could be fed grain and then poop it out. Sounds like he's not digesting a goddamn thing. Yeah, in actuality, the duck bot could not digest food mm. because, of course, it didn't. Yeah. Rather, the food would be collected in an inner chamber, which then, once it was filled, pre-stored feces made out of slimy green breadcrumbs oh. would flop out from a second chamber, <laughs> the butt chamber. Oh, I thought it was just pooping out regular grain. Oh, they gave him poop. Yeah, no, they packed the butt chamber with, like, slimy breadcrumbs. That's hilarious. Yeah, fooled a lot of people. <laughs> We're such stupid animals. Yes. <laughs> so fucking dumb. Another famous <laughs> automaton that warrants discussion was referred to as the chess Turk, uh, the mechanical Turk, yeah. or just the automaton chess player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing is, like, the pre-precursor to IBM's Deep Blue. Well. <laughs> like, pre-pre-pre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a turban-wearing android, supposedly, that could defeat even the most intelligent of chess masters sometimes, because it didn't always win. Right. The Turk debuted at the court of Empress Maria Theresa during the wedding celebrations for her daughter in 1969. Thanks, Mom. Um, and over the course of the 18th century, this thing would go on to win games against big names like Catherine the Great, Benjamin Franklin. All right. The Turk took a tour across the globe. Okay. Once Napoleon Bonaparte tried to cheat against the Turk, oh, all right. who responded by wiping all of the pieces from the board. 
There's this guy under there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this mysterious machine sparked all sorts of discussions about the possibilities and limits of artificial intelligence. Right. It inspired the development of the power loom, the telephone, the computer. Like, it, it brought forth this kind of, like, even though it was fake, Whoa. it it sparked all of these ideas within the people that saw it and couldn't prove or, or know if it was really fake or not. But it That's... got them thinking, how does this machine, it's playing games against us. That's crazy. Right. So Edgar Whoa. Allan Poe saw the Turk perform in person in Richmond, Virginia, and he decided, of course, famous hoaxer that he was, he could spot a hoax when he saw it. And he announced that he thought the Turk was a hoax in his 1836 essay, Maisel's Chess Player. Why did he think it was a hoax? Saw the guy's feet moving. <laughs> no, because the Turk lost the game sometimes, which is kind of a fallacy. Poe believed that if the machine was actually a real machine, it would be mm. unbeatable, which uh, that logic kind of falls apart. Yeah. But he was right to suspect that this machine was not what it purported to be. Charles Babbage, the um, the inventor who conceptualized the first digital programmable computer, also agreed with Poe that, you know, this machine was probably just a man hidden inside of it. You know, maybe operating the puppet. I don't know. But unlike what Charles Babbage thought, the man was not inside of the puppet itself, like the turban wearing animatronic. He was inside the cabinet, which at the beginning of the game would be open to show everybody, hey, look what's underneath. But there would right. be like a secret chamber in there just large enough in right. the back for a man to sit. So people thought like, oh, I can see the whole thing. I saw it open. Right. But there would actually be a person in there who was played by multiple different people throughout the whole course of the Turks' um, adventures. And, you That's know, cool. It is cool. So he played with, like, levers and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there was, like, a version. He could see the chessboard from underneath. To, okay. Like, yeah. That'd uh, be cool if you had to, like, memorize shit or, like, had... Right. And he had his own, like, chessboard underneath. The whole or thing, you can, like, look up YouTube clever. videos about it. It's like really it's interesting. And, you know, of course, animatronics. The real first animatronics were clocks cuckoo clocks or any yeah. sort of like fancy clock making that yeah, yeah, yeah. incorporated like little figurines blah 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 of course I'm telling you if you ever get the chance to go to the clockwork museum in utrecht netherlands it's real cool i would love to it's real cool and really this sent me on a whole path of like looking into the history of puppetry animatronics automata yeah. like it's very fascinating. It is. And then it all circles back to Chuck E. Cheese. Fucking goddamn Charles. Who, yeah, we just need to get back to them because they're they're dying for our attention. They're ravenous for it, you might say. I think they might have gone bankrupt a third time waiting for us to get back to them. <laughs> yeah. Chuck E. Cheese has gone bankrupt twice. That's so funny. You know... That's the thing, though. It's not a knock against the company because they've been around for a long time. And when when you want to have longevity, you're going to have your your rises and your crashes. What? When I think Chuck E. Cheese, I think like radical 90s. I think, yeah. I think 1995 and a fucking skate. They had a renaissance. Yeah, okay. They did. They go through like 10-year cycles, it seems, where like they're doing really, really good for a period of like two years and then slowly goes down over the next decade and then woo, bankruptcy and then um, re rebrand. It's that feedback adjustment loop. Yeah. That's programmed into it from the fucking start. Right. I don't like their most recent adjustment. No. I do not like the bowling for soup version of Rockstar Mount. I don't like it. 
It's voiced by the lead singer of Bowling for Soup. Really? Yeah, who I learned um, before he was in a band is very passionate about toy stores. He has like a whole tattoo sleeve full of kids toys. And I was like, that's cool because like yeah. toys are, are very interesting. But yeah. and so it makes sense why he would also align with Chuck E. Cheese. But that there's no accent. There's no New Jersey accent. Well, there's no cigar. And he's got this big that, ass uh, head now. He's like a like a bobblehead, like anime. Yeah. Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, yeah chibi style yeah chibi chibi chucky now like i said earlier by the end of december 1979 there were seven pizza time theaters okay but bushnell wanted to expand even further and he saw franchising again like another thing that kind of defines the 80s i think yeah as a, a way to accomplish um building his vision now even though the show was intended for families this didn't stop Chuck E. Cheese from being generally quite rude to his castmates and for them like getting kind of edgy in, in the in the scripts. It's for the parents too. Yeah. Um, you know, Chucky, he'd be smoking his cigar and then yelling at Jasper T. Jowls to to just shut off. Like he would break the fourth wall and acknowledge that they're animatronics and Whoa. say, like, shut down the dog, he's getting annoying. <laughs> and then somebody would like switch off Jasper T. Jowls. Yeah. He was weirdly kind of aware of his status as a machine, would sometimes like reference it in shows oh and boy. his like spitefulness about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the family friendly concept also did not stop a character named Dolly Dimples from entering the scene. Oh. It was a, a sultry hippo with inflatable jiggle boobs. Oh. Who would like make jokes about her ex-husbands. God damn it. Let's hear a little bit of Dolly Dimples routine. So fucking cynical, dude. Yeah. This man hates America. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, hello, everybody. Hello. I don't know what it is, but sitting here with you gets me all hot and bothered. What? Makes me feel like singing about summer. Is this real? This is real. Summertime. Yeah. So um, she would do like little interludes between her songs. And typically she was supposed to be behind like, you know, behind the curtain just for parents to see. But that didn't nobody ever put it up. So, of course, kids are just wandering into the Dolly Dimple show. And he's she's like making jokes about, you know, God, she's got orange Peggy Hill hair. She's a hot and bothered. Dude, what the fuck have we done to ourselves? I know. I'd also be remiss not to include some of uh, Madame Oink or Madame Onk's show tape, which will give us a, a taste of early Chucky's personality, mm. which is to say he's kind of a little cunt. <laughs> oh, no. Oinkity Oink. Ain't she something? Oinkity Oink. Our little Dumbelina. The Lady of Oink dines on little truffles. The Lady of Oink <laughs> comes and lays and ruffles. As you can tell from this very special song here, this ain't your ordinary out-of-town talent we got lined up. <laughs> this here is the Lady of Oink, the piggy from Paris. <laughs> Please turn him off. Please. That's all I'm asking you. Turn off. 
Thank you very much, and please do me a favor, send Pasquale back to the kitchen there. I'm sorry, folks. You're going to have to excuse Pasquale and that fruitcake dog there. Somebody must have plugged their brains into an egg beater, because they're getting very scrambled up there. But, all right, without saying any further to do, to do, to do, straight from Paris, France, here's Madame Oink. Madame Oink. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me for perpetrating your name there. Yeah, anyway, asshole. ladies and gentlemen, here she is, the lovely Lady of Oink herself, <laughs> Madame Oink. What a... Mm. He's a little fucking... Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's such a jerk. Yeah, he's a, dish, he's, he's a dickhead. <laughs> he's a fucking, he's an insecure little bitch. Oh my god. Dude. To be fair, Jasper T. Jowls is annoying. But like... But they wrote it that way. It's, uh, it fills me with hope that we've turned out as okay as we have. Yeah. You know? That's a really fucked up thing to do to a family restaurant. <laughs> You know, it's so you don't have to fill the awkward conversation and actually talk to your children. You just have them like, like gaping mouthed, just like necks craned, looking at, at Madame Oink, like it's, what's interesting floating out of a a frame. Cause it fits in the uncanny Valley. Yeah. So it, it, your nervous system goes, I don't know what that is. I have to pay extra close attention. Yes. Right. And so it fires everything. Like four years old. Yeah. 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 Your brain, you're still basically just on acid because your brain's just firing like that. That's another thing. Imagine these being your core memories is just like a bunch of talking like animals and in painting frames. That's what I'm walking myself to. Like with like making those jokes and shit, like being like core memories, you don't even fucking remember anymore. And that's just like, that's just informed who you are and how you make decisions and shit. Yeah. Knowing what we know now about like, learning and develop i mean not that it would make any fucking difference because still doing oh let me tell you ourselves but jesus christ i'm angry there's um there's a whole documentary i've included some clips of it from um the rock of fire explosion that we'll get to in a moment that features super fans um that have like grown up a bit who were like obsessed with going to these animatronic pizza places in their childhoods and getting a, a taste of the the fandom yeah, yeah. and like what they're like is very interesting to see the people that like actually ate this up, loved it, like loved these characters. Um, it's interesting. One of them, you're like, oh my God, why is he only two years older than me? But looks far older than me oh he drinks two pints of mountain dew a day okay yeah 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 yeah. like the super fans the people that that love this shit you think there's got to be something wrong with them and there might be probably well what's wrong with them is that however it happened this information stream was allowed to well coalesce around there was one of them who was like you know my mom like she would have to go do something. So she would just drop me off at, at, at the pizza place and come and pick me up in three hours, go to the hotel or whatever she did. And I'm just like, wait a second. Can we yeah, unpack that? Yeah. Can can we unpack your mom dropping you off to, to watch the animatronic show with no money? So you never played the arcade games. You just sat there and watched the animatronic show. That's why you actually watched it and didn't play the games because you're, you're poor. And <laughs> like, well, your mom went to what the hotel. Um Okay, now you spend your adult life rebuilding these machines. Okay, let's we could talk about that, but we're not going to. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> you know, there's a lot. It of- was a simpler time back then. 
I was just going to say shit gets dark sometimes. No, like I I imagine that's why they latch on to like this childhood nostalgia and why people do in general, why people like are obsessed with the, the media of their childhoods. Number one, I like I get it. It's fun. But the people that really get into it, I feel like they are trying to relive a time of innocence. Yeah. Yes. A, a perhaps less charitable way and more Lovecraftian way to think about it is that like the, the, the thing that created the very same thing that's that is animating the animatronics is the same thing that created the conditions that is making the mom drop the kid off at the thing. Right. Right. It, like it's a monster. Right. <laughs> All right. I'm not a communist. <laughs> so, so Bushnell has left Atari officially now yeah. and is leaning fully into pizza time theater and his desire to franchise it. Well, what do you know? Robert Brock is interested. Who the hell is that? I don't expect you to know. Is that Brock, the gym leader from Pokemon season one? No, Brock as in Billy Bob Broccoli. Oh, oh. Robert Brock, Bob Broccoli. The bear. Yes. So Robert Brock, he's the owner of the Brock Hotel Corporation, but at the time it was... God, it was something different. But at the time they were doing... They were doing very well in hospitality management. He had a whole bunch of different hotels. Um, And he's a bear, you say? He's not. Okay. <laughs> He's not. He's just a guy. But he wants to expand from the hospitality management scene and into other things. Yeah. I'm still thinking of him as a bear, though, if, if that's all right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He signs a co-development agreement with Bushnell to expand from Pizza Time Theater's current seven locations to over 200 Chuck E. Cheeses all around the country. Damn. That's what Brock signs on to. But here's where things get a little oh, right. fucky. Because that's the, the clips we just watched. It was just like this one place of darkness, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Just the one Warner Communications place. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the one place. Um, And then, you know, he and buys it back. Then there's the seven more. Then there's the seven, yeah. And yeah. now he's kind of like stuck at a standpoint where he's like okay i just let go of atari what am i doing now let me franchise out on the chuck e cheese thing ah this hotel guy wants to help me well mere months before any development could be started on these new locations because again they're going to expand to over 200 more chuck e cheeses brock started to hear rumors about another inventor one who there might be more promise in whose animatronic work was of higher quality than what bushnell Mm. was offering now, Bushnell tries to tell Brock, don't mess with that dude. Don't even bother checking out his work. He's just some kid working out of his garage in Florida. Don't don't even fuck with him. Well, this inventor was none other than a man named Aaron Fector, who is okay. so fascinating to me. Okay. He's the one responsible for Goonie Bird. Okay. So we've just been introduced to Bobby Brock, the hotel guy, and Aaron Fector, the inventor and founder of Creative Engineering Incorporated. He may- He's the guy who's been making animatronics out of his garage since he was a teenager? Basically, since he was like 19. We're going to hear a little yeah, bit about how he got Rooney into Bird. it. Yeah, he invented Bird. Yeah. So Fector had been working on something called the Wolfpack 5, an animatronic band. <laughs> and he debuted it at that um that like convention in Orlando that, you know, all these amusement park people go to. Okay. And this animatronic band is so much better than what Chuck E. Cheese has to offer that... Um, after Bobby Brock sees the Wolfpack Five, sees Fector's work, um, goes to visit him in Orlando, like sees that, okay, he's not just a kid working out of his garage. He's got a warehouse. Like he knows what he's doing. His dad is rich and investing in his, his work. Ooh, now Bobby Brock's thinking, 
I wish I hadn't signed that contract with Bushnell. I wish I had partnered with Fector instead. Maybe we could make our own thing, our own non-Chuck E. Cheese thing, like, because the Wolfpack 5 is good. So perhaps here's some hot gossip. Bushnell knew damn well that Fector wasn't just some kid in a garage because Fector had previously turned down working with Bushnell. Oh, yeah. Bushnell had approached him, had seen his work and said, hey, kid, I think you got a lot of promise. I like what you're doing. Why don't you work for me? Why don't. In fact, I'm willing to buy out creative engineering from you. Let me buy out your entire stock. And you just can't you can't just offer to buy a man's baby. You can. I mean, you can. And sometimes he'll sell it. Yeah. But. Fector was not willing to because in his words, he didn't trust Bushnell. He had an implicit sense of distrust. He had already had some some shit go down with um, Whack-A-Mole. There's there's some drama about shit went down with Whack-A-Mole, you say? Yes. Eric (laughs) Fector considers himself the inventor of Whack-A-Mole and it got stolen from him some shit. So he's very like he's got this whole thing about his intellectual property and staying attached to his inventions. It's a whole I do love a game of Whack-A-Mole. Oh, me too. So we're going to go back in time now to just one year after Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney founded Atari and released Pong. Back in time. It's 1973, and we're going to learn about the origins of Aaron Fector's company, Creative Engineering. Okay. We're going to meet the man who Brock saw so much promise in and how... In 10 years, Fector went from a, a fresh college graduate, 19 years old, to a, eventually a 20% owner of Chuck E. Cheese's arch nemesis, Showbiz Pizza. Who I can derive from the fact that I've heard of Chuck E. Cheese and not Showbiz Pizza. It, it sounds it sounds like Bushnell ground him into the dust. Well, we'll see. Okay, all right. Let's meet Aaron. In discussing creative engineering, I have to start at the beginning, which is really 1973. That's when I graduated college. I was 19 years old, and I decided to build a car that would get really high gas mileage. And it was because we had such long gas lines at the gas pumps those days. They even said we were running out of gas. So I wanted to do something for the world, something for the energy crisis, and I built this little car. I really expected creative engineering was going to manufacture this car. But the best I could do was to come up with another idea that would raise money to uh, fund the car company. And that idea was the Leaf Eater. It was a swimming pool cleaning device. It it actually pulled the leaves out of the swimming pool um, faster than any other way. As I was knocking on doors, cleaning swimming pools, I happened to knock on this one door. This guy, uh, Paul, I remember his name was, uh, said, um, um, he listened to my spiel that I gave him, and my spiel always started out, hi, I'm Aaron Fector, and I'm an inventor, and I've invented this leaf eater, and it cleans your swimming pool. And he looked at me kind of sarcastically, and he said, so you're an inventor, huh? I said, yes. Well, he says, well, an inventor can invent anything. I said, yes, I can invent anything. And so he says, well, could you invent a control system to, to control a shooting gallery for an amusement park? I said, sure. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I figured I could do it. I had an electronics background, and uh, that's how I got into entertainment, because um, I built the shooting gallery. His company was building a talking horse, and I loved it. It was a little <laughs> animatronic a talking sentence. horse. Yes. I started getting all these invitations to build talking bears and talking monsters of various sorts. And uh, before you know it, I was building a whole shows. Yep. So, yeah, he gets sort of sucked into the amusement park scene. There's a bunch of these other like these other amusement parks that see what Disney is doing and are basically just copying it. They're like, we want animatronic bears, too. So, yeah, he starts getting in his skin in the game. Um, He builds his little his car that 
to combat the energy crisis as he sees it. And so throughout funny. his life, he's he's big on alternative fuel sources, which we will learn. Uh, my high school um, had a science teacher like that. Yeah. Not, his his little go-kart car, it's named Yuta after his German girlfriend at the time. Yeah, before we we go any further, I want to play a little game. A little game? Yes, I want to play a little game. Right. I'm going to read you some quotes, and I want you to guess if Aaron Fector said this or if Ooh. a notorious mass killer said this. <laughs> Do I get to know the mass killer? Yes. Who is it? Okay. There, there are several different ones. Gotcha. All right. Quote number one, Fector or mass killer? I do everything with humor, but also a smackdown because I was raised on championship wrestling. Don't hate me because I'm a winner. Take a lesson. That's why I do it. I'm hoping to teach you all to be winners, but be ready. There are people who will be jealous of you because no one will think that you deserve to win. Ooh, Fector. Correct. All right. All right. I have an exceptionally high level of intelligence. I see the world differently than everyone else. Because of all the injustices that I went through, the worldview I developed because of them, I assume I'm destined for greatness. I must be destined to change the world and to shape it into an image that suits me. Factor. Wrong. That was Elliot Roger. Oh. <laughs> 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 that makes sense. God, you know. Next one. All right. My doctor wants to put me on medication to stop thinking about so many things and to stop getting angry. Well, I think anyone who doesn't think like me is bullshitting themselves. Try it sometime if you think you're worthy, which you probably will, you little shits. Drop all your beliefs and views and ideas that have been burned into your heads and try to think about why you're here. I bet most of you can't even think that deep. Ass killer? Yeah, that was Eric Harris. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I thought I'd heard that before. All right, last one. It's the only reason I said that, though. I thought I was going to... I am not bipolar, nor have I ever needed to seek the help of a mental counselor. That doesn't mean I won't kick someone's ass if I have to. I am a man, after all. Don't hate me for that. I'm also the hero type. That means if I see someone picking on you, I'll kick his ass for you. But I can go from cute and cuddly and funny to a superhero fighting crime and hate in 10 milliseconds. That doesn't make me bipolar. It's just what I do. I'm going to qualify this by saying just because of the law of average, like statistically is why I'm saying this, but factor. Yeah. <laughs> no. So his online presence is fucking insane. <laughs> the stuff that he posts on Twitter, on Facebook, like he is a certifiable mess. <laughs> I'm not implying that he's a killer at all. No. I, I'm only implying that the things that he types out and, and presses enter on. It led you to a place where you were associating the two types. Where I was like, oh my God, these rants that he's going on. Like there was, have I ever committed a crime? Have I ever cheated anyone out of money? Have I ever laid a hand on a woman who didn't want my special touch? Whoa. Have I ever told a bad joke? Yes. Don't answer that one. Oh, fuck you. You got me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Piece of shit. So um, here's Fector responding to a YouTuber who accused him of having paranoia, and he explains why he didn't want to partner or work with Bushnell. Uh, something was mentioned about Aaron's paranoia. Okay, it had to do with um, uh, my paranoia that Nolan Bushnell would steal my inventions from me and uh, not do any business with me other than buy the first animated character. Well, sure, you might call that paranoia, but it's, it's realistic uh, business uh, strategy, you see, 
because already so many things had been stolen from me. Look what happened to the whack-a-mole. Do you know you didn't mention the whack-a-mole? I invented that in 1976 and it was stolen by my first customer. My first customer stole it, sold it to somebody else, and then he went into manufacturing of it. So I, I was used to people just taking my stuff, reverse engineering it and building it themselves. That's no way to build a future. You're going to have to find a way to protect your intellectual property, if you will, um, your designs, your creations, everything you've got, you've got to find a way to protect it so that you can make money out of your creations. Otherwise, other people just steal it and make money. And that's what Nolan Bushnell, I believe, wanted to do. So yeah, he's very big on the idea of protecting his intellectual property because he realizes that there are all of these people that love these characters that have been created, love these ideas. And of course, it is a common, it's a standard business practice. It's exactly how Bushnell formed the idea for Chuck E. Cheese himself, was going around to different amusement parks saying, oh, I like this, I like that. Oh, pizza and pipes, this seems to work. How can I synthesize this? And like... But that's where everything comes from, is putting together what's been done before you. Yeah. The but yeah. The free flow of information. He's like, probably pretty wise not to partner with Bushnell, but it yeah. all comes full circle anyway, because, you know, we'll, we'll see how things well, Bushnell's a psychopath. Yeah, they all are. So Fector's years of experience in theme parks, animatronics, making horse heads, making country bears, make, sorry, bear country jubilees, and Brock, Robert Brock's experience in franchising and hospitality. Once they meet, they're like, to heck with you, rat boy. Mm. We're going to make our own pizza place with our own band. And it's called Showbiz Pizza Place. And it opens in 1980. Which one had the, sh the hookers and blow? Both. But more more showbiz pizza. Okay. When you like when you look at the different conference rooms that the business actually took place in, yeah. there's like light up ceilings that change colors and stuff. You're like, oh, they were doing so much blow in there. Uh, I've been I've, my, my uh, stress induced micro obsession for the last month has been novelty lighting. Yeah, it's gone to an unreasonable point um, now, which is pretty sick. I'm having, a, yeah. I'm, I'm having a good time. It's my favorite micro obsession yet. So I get it. Yep. So at the insistence of, of Aaron that, you know, he's partnering with Brock, he's like, listen, we're going to open up Showbiz Pizza. I can do better than this Wolfpack 5 thing that you've seen. I, give me some more money. I'm going to make a new band specifically for Showbiz Pizza. It's going to be called the Rock of Fire Explosion. That is such a cocaine name. Yeah. And they are a sensation. Let's, yeah. let's watch a little clip from the Rock of Fire Explosion documentary. After Bob Brock and I met... Uh, late 1979, and we forged an agreement to start Showbiz Pizza Place. Uh, things just really took off. I mean, those guys, they meant business. When they said to me, Aaron, we want you to build lots of shows. We're not talking about 10 shows a year like you're used to. We're talking about like 10 shows a month. Can you do it? And again, I said, sure. <laughs> How we were going to do it had to be figured out. But the answer, of course, had to be yes. Ladies and gentlemen, the world's most advanced entertainment has now joined forces with the world's finest pizza. Yes. Yes. Holy, Holy shit. Holy shit. It was a huge dream come true for us. It was like being in rock and roll. Exactly like being in rock and roll. So, uh... Things just started taking off, and before you know it, we were building 40 shows a quarter, 40 rocket fire explosions a quarter, and it was a tremendous dream. Uh, we were, I was traveling to new restaurants opening two to three a week, and uh, it was just going great guns all the way up to we had 
100 restaurants open. And in fact, I remember that the 100th restaurant opened in Dallas. And there was a huge celebration. In fact, in that particular celebration, um, I dressed up in a Billy Bob costume and was flown in in a helicopter where I did a performance as Billy Bob before hundreds, maybe thousands of children and, uh, and dignitaries from the city. So it was, a, it was just a huge time that in, in my life. And um, at that point, when we opened our 100th restaurant, that's when we realized, or that's when the people who controlled the money realized that we were losing money. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. So they like showbiz once they're off and running, they expand so fast. And maybe they should have waited. There's there's a thing. If you're working with like scalable information, it's like it doesn't matter if there's cocaine involved. It's like being on methamphetamine. Yeah. Animatronics that cost thousands of dollars to produce. It's not something that you can scale up to 200 yeah. locations within three years. And shows a month. Yeah, no, really. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, maybe showbiz should have waited before expanding. But in any case, I think it oh, was partially... Oh, the Rock of Fire explosion. Yes. Rock Definitely of Fire like yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and Chuck E. Cheese are like at each other's necks because, you know, Bushnell, now he's like, fuck. Brock was supposed to make me 200 more Chuck E. Cheeses. Now he's there's like this two year long legal battle where after which finally the contract is officially voided. But there's some stipulation that Brock has to like pay Bushnell some percentage because he's using the, the pizza time theater concept, which is unique to Bushnell in I some wonder, way. I wonder if what happened like from Brock's perspective, the idea of Chuck E. like t pinning a thing on one character. Mm -hmm. Chuck E. Cheese and having this character be something that probably very quickly started uh, getting like, ew, I don't like this guy because he's an asshole. <laughs> I don't like this Chucky e. character. I don't like this rat trying to sell me pizza. It's I'm trying to go somewhere other than where a robot rat is trying to sell me pizza and, and being a dickhead. The showbiz, like the Rock of Fire explosion, I like. They've got this this big old gorilla named Fats Geronimo front and center on a keyboard. That's tight as hell. They got Beach Bear. I mean, and that's the thing. You call it showbiz pizza. You can have a rotating cast of characters yeah. where you can like get audience feedback and change it as appropriate. It's it's a much smarter way to right. go about things from the outset. They have Mitzi Mozzarella, who's a mouse. Better names, too. But that was... Damn. See, Aaron Fector never wanted to have a mouse in Rock of Fire Explosion, but this advertising no dude mouse. told him, like, but, like, we have to make an allusion to, like, Disney, and then Chuck E. Cheese has, like, the, the rat and everything, so you gotta have some sort of, like, rodent character. And he folded on animal. it, but, you know, yeah, he, he yeah, regrets yeah. it. He's like, I should have never included a mouse in... He's, he's right. Yeah, Mitzi right. Mozzarella. You don't want rodents selling you food. No. Yeah, I like the Rock of Fire explosion more than the Chuck E. Cheese band is officially known as Munch's Make Believe Band. Mm. And for, I don't know why they put Mr. Munch front and center for, with the naming on that one, because he's the least memorable character. He like talks like an idiot and his defining characteristic is that he he's like Cookie Monster, but with pizza. Like I'm he comes from the planet Munch and he where they all eat pizza. It's... It's really one-dimensional. Yeah. I mean, at least the Rock Fire Explosion has... It's a weird kind of heart, but it's heart nonetheless. Yeah, Aaron Fector did a bunch of, like, voices for it. He did the voice of Billy Bob, and it, it became, like, sort of a thing where him and his friends he had a lot of employees but the voices and the voice actors and the music making part of it became sort of like this very silly fun creative outlet for him and a small select group of people where you know they created the soundtrack for a lot of people's important childhood memories 
which is kind of like a, a poetic thing. Well, it's the same thing as like, that's why like the Disney shit doesn't give me the same soulless vibes as like original Chuck E. T's because there's a weird kind of heart and maybe a heart I disagree with, but at least it's not missing a fundamental part of the human experience. Yeah. And I think that's what Brock also saw in Fector's work yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. this has more soul in it. Yeah. Because it's not about the robot being the soulless thing. It's about the dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, neither Brock nor Bushnell foresaw that their pizza ventures would be such a, a money pit, but they should have because animatronics cost a lot of money to upkeep. But that's neither here nor there because, again, it's when a ridiculous it, business model. When it was though. when it was good, it was good because mm. in 1981, Chuck E. Cheese's average revenue per restaurant was about $300,000 higher than even McDonald's that year. Damn. And then showbiz pizzas was even higher than Chuck E. Cheese's. Yeah. So they're surpassing McDonald's, Pizza Hut, like traditional fast food. Like they're doing really good. 1981 is also the year that Bushnell decides he needs to get more serious about revamping the Chuck E. Cheese animatronics, turning them into full-bodied characters because now he's got to compete with showbiz. Right. So it's kind of like this great space race thing where now that showbiz has entered the scene and, and there's also these other copycats, like there's Bullwinkles, there's all of these. I could go through a list of dozens of different animatronic pizza places that popped up. So now it becomes this like competitive atmosphere. What do they think? What do these people think the end game? is here money (laughs) (laughs) fair enough (laughs) because like i feel like i was thinking like if you had like the analytics that we do now if you could like see fucking you know using like your phone data and shit like yeah we made this much more money but like do we have repeat customers right how many how many times does it take for people to burn out on the gimmick how many kids are just getting dropped off by their moms and spending zero dollars just watching the the animatronic show yeah i mean i feel like i i would look at that and go like no one's coming back a second time i can't imagine that parents enjoyed taking their children to these places that's why i never went yeah it it seems out by it yeah 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 it's a a weird thing So Bushnell is like, okay, we got to get better animatronics because the whole framed character setup, it just feels pathetic now in comparison to the Rock of Fire Explosion stage show. And yeah, yeah, They've yeah. got like three different stages. They're all spread out. They've, they've got their whole... One of the puppets even has a puppet. Like they're getting meta with it. Like the puppet is a ventriloquist they're that trying, has a puppet. Oh, that's sick. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they're trying to put on a show, whereas like Chuck E. Cheese was found on a philosophy of the fucking, the show filling a role. Right. Being an attention grabber versus like the thing you're trying to put on a show. Mm-hmm. So the rat's in a rush. To the rat's cap- always in a yes. fucking rush. Rat's in a rush to capture more market share before showbiz could and begins constructing and expanding more pizza time theaters at a rate of two per week. Jesus there's, a, Christ. there's a new pizza time theater every five days. That's which insane. Is insane. That's fucking nuts. They expand to 200 more locations within two years and they should be doing amazing, right? Yeah. No, they're actually reporting losses of over $80 million. Oh, oh, no. And it's also 1983. And something else happens in 1983. What was it? Uh, oh, yeah. The video game crash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Computers. Computers yeah. are fucking shit up for console and arcade gaming. Video game sales drop 97% nationally. Arcades are shutting down across the country. So now it's hard times for Charles Entertainment Cheese mm. in 1983 because they've expanded. They've gotten too big for their britches. It's funny that like the golden age of arcades happened like afterwards. Yeah. Like arcade video games and shit. Yeah. 
So the enormous debt from trying to expand at, at this very rapid rate, it leaves Bushnell in a bind, and the company is forced to declare for the first time Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Would Chucky be able to survive this crash? Well, of course, because you can't kill a rat. It's hard. I've done it. <laughs> it takes some effort, but you can do it. Now, thanks no, it takes will. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Determination. <laughs> Thanks to the good graces of Showbiz Pizza, Chucky gets another chance at life. They buy out Chuck E. Cheese for a hot $35 million. Damn. They get bought out by their what? copycat competitor. You know, because, you know, Chuck E. Cheese, they consider themselves the, the original. Yeah. And anything that comes after, they're just copying us. Even if they're doing it better, they're still just copying us. Chuck E. Cheese is the first robot rat pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this must have been a like a huge hit to the ego for Nolan Bushnell because he fucks off from the company entirely a year later in 1984. He's like, peace out, Chuck E. Cheese. And the new parent corporation would combine the names of the two. Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater and Showbiz Pizza Place would become Showbiz Pizza Time Incorporated. Oh, no. Yes. Now, they operate under the same umbrella, but the, and, and the two companies are still separate entities. You know, but they're under now Showbiz Pizza Time Incorporated. Yeah. That is until 1990 when something called the concept unification process begins to take place. Now, this is a the very concept unification process. It's creepy. There's something a... I expect to find like the 1500s. Yeah. This is some apocalyptic cult. Oh, yeah. What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> this is when between the years of 1984 and 1990, the, the tides had kind of turned yet again between Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz, like who's on top. Chuck E. Cheese is now doing better than Showbiz. And this mm. is in part due to creative differences that have been arising between Bobby Brock and Aaron Fector, causing drama in the Showbiz pizza place. Oh. And the major creative difference being that Fector wanted to maintain control over his intellectual property, his characters that he had created. What's that girl's name? Fats Geronimo. I understand him. Yeah. Yeah. Brock wanted to take it away. And, you know, so so the contract with Creative Engineering, who produced the Rock of Fire Explosion band, was now being called into question and, and everything was getting topsy-turvy yet again. Here's Fector talking about the merge between the companies and, and how he was pushed out of the operation. All of a sudden, I had to get rid of hundreds of employees. Showbiz Pizza Place got rid of Lots of employees. They were trying to cut costs everywhere. And at that point, the Rock of Fire still existed, but they didn't have a place to go. And they Who's began licensing them out to other restaurants because they had leftover inventory. Because at one point, apparently, they just told us, they just told Creative Engineering, we're not making any more shows. They decided to take a look at another idea. And the idea was to merge with or buy out Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese was a separate company at that point. There was Chuck E. Cheese and there was Showbiz Pizza Place. And as badly as Showbiz Pizza Place was doing, Chuck E. Cheese was doing worse. Now, I can veto whatever I want. And I wanted to veto that. I wanted to find another way. So, Brock Hotel said, look, this is the only way. Nothing else is gonna save us. So you cannot veto this. That it's didn't pissed. mean necessarily the end of the Rock Fire explosion. They were still willing to keep the Rock Fire explosion in Showbiz Pizza Place. But the only way they were willing to keep the Rock Fire explosion was if I gave them the copyrights. 
and they could then have complete and total control and power over the characters. That meant they get to decide what the voices are, what the scripts are, what the music is, they get to program them themselves, everything they wanted to do. And I would have absolutely nothing to do about it and no say about it. But you gotta realize, back then, I still felt like the Rockefeller Explosion had a big future. Movies, cartoons. I wanted to go someplace else with the Rockefeller Explosion besides pizza restaurants. I wasn't ready just to give it up. And besides, they didn't offer me a plug nickel for the copyrights. Dun, when I spoke dun. to Gene Cram about this, who proposed to me that I give them the copyrights to the Rockefeller Explosion, the trademarks, the copyrights, all ownership of the copyrights, he said, Aaron, what you get out of this is that your characters, Billy Bob, will live. They'll live on. But let me tell you something, if you don't accept this deal and if you don't give us your copyrights, your characters are gonna die. We're, we're gonna get rid of them and we're gonna replace them with Chuck E. Cheese. I said, okay, I'll take that challenge. I'll take that challenge. I'll, I will do something with those characters and I, and I will do it without you then. But yeah. I will not just give you those characters. So he didn't just give them those characters and he's been holding on to them ever since and nothing has really been done with them because he just will not let anybody else play with his intellectual property. Which like, look, I, so I, I get that. I, I, I get that. it too. On a level, I do get it. Yeah. But I think that it's it's kept his, like, why does it all have to be one idea that he came up with when he was 25 and then he coasts on that for the rest of his life and can never do anything else and is so attached to that thing? I mean, it depends on how much it means to him. Well, true, because it, you know it's I mean? the thing that like, because imagine this, he graduates college at 19. Within a few years, he's working for all these amusement parks. Within a few years, in his 20s, now he's gaining all this recognition for the rock fire explosion. Like it's exploding. It's its, its own whole thing. And now he's just the founder of creative engineering for the rest of his life. And he's the creator of the rock of fire explosion. And his whole identity is so tied up into that thing. And I get it, but it's also almost like trapped him. Well, the thing is, he hasn't created anything else with it. Right. Because he's like, oh, I see all these visions for movies, cartoons. Well, it's Do like, something. bro, we'll write them. Yeah. Because if you're not willing to let other people write them. Right. Then, you then who else it. is going to do it? Yeah. Right. If you're not willing to let other people sully your creation with their dirty fingers, then you better be the one to to revive them. Yeah. Creating something like bringing someone on to help you create something means that you have to respect that they're input too. Like, right. But I also get that like this sucked for him. Well, yeah. This because, is awful. Because the the right call is not sell your fucking characters to the goddamn corporation. Yeah. You know, like I would never, like any characters I ever created or anything, I would, like, you can't. No, I'd be like, fuck, fuck off. Fuck you. you so I get it. On yeah. some level, I get it. But I also feel like. But he, you can't be bitter about that decision. Right. Yeah. You can't, the bitterness will destroy you. Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, this whole idea of like. We're going to push out the Rock of Fire explosion because Aaron's not willing to sell us the copyright or anything. Well, then fuck the Rock of Fire explosion. But their skeletons are good. They have good frames. So why put they good, got good, good bones? They got good bones. You got good bone <laughs> structure. So why put these better quality animatronics to waste? Let's, um, I don't know, take their skin off. <laughs> and give them new skin. Let's take off Fat Geronimo's little skin suit 
and let's uh, turn him into Mr. Munch instead. Mm. So that's what, what starts to happen is this concept unification process where over the course of a few years, the Rock of Fire explosion is phased out and replaced with Mr. Munch's make-believe band. But for a time, some locations debuted a, a band called the Midgens. Who were a tiny version of the Rockafire explosion. To cook off. Yeah. With a, <laughs> a skinnier Billy Bob and a skinny Fats Geronimo. Wow. And then just a bare animatronic, like just the skeleton of it, called the Midgenator that would also perform on stage with them. So it was just like a bunch of little mini versions. So we're just back to being cynical as fuck. Yeah. Very yeah. weird that the, the, the Midgens were there during the concept unification to fill the gap. Let's watch this little video clip. It sounds like they're colonizing another planet or something. What the fuck are you talking about? It's disgusting. Yeah, truly, truly. So they went through what's called concept unification. And what it basically became was they took the Rockfire robots, left the animation, the animatronics, everything that was on the inside pretty much stayed intact. They just kind of rearranged the characters, slapped different cosmetics on them, and tried to pass it off as a completely different show. And that was the beginning of the end in terms of the Rock of Fire being in Showbiz Pizza. And I think for a time they did actually still have the Rock of Fire in the stores, but after about 1990, they converted the concept over to Chuck E. Cheese, and that was that. Yep. Well, let's hear a reaction from a fan who goes into a showbiz and sees all of his favorite characters replaced by Chuck E. Cheese. Let's hear it. And it had been a while since I'd been in one, and I noticed that they had changed the name to Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza, and I really didn't think too much of it. And I remember going in there and seeing this bastardized version of the Rockfire Explosion on stage and just being completely appalled by it. And it had been probably a couple years since I had been in one, and it was at least another four or five years before I ever stepped foot in one again, because I had no interest at all in seeing the Chuck E. Cheese characters up there in place of the rock fire. So with our, our problems were that we needed more money, or we needed to spend less, one or the other. At 200 restaurants, <laughs> Yeah, the fans are, are just mortified at what they're seeing. Yeah. By 1992, the name of every remaining showbiz pizza place had been changed to Chuck E. Cheese or oh, whatever man. it was at the time. Chuck E. Cheese's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Rock of Fire explosion completely removed. Most of the originals destroyed. The concept unification tape, like the instructional tape given to employees, is so eerie to watch because they're like, remove all of the props and destroy them, put them in the dumpster. They will not be needed ever again. Oh no. And then it shows like a clip of the people throwing the shit into the dumpster, like. <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah, obviously th this is this is a big blow to Aaron Fector sure. because this is his whole lifeblood. This yeah. is everything that he's been building towards. And even though he's got a bunch of employees that, you know, mostly do all of the work for him, he is He's the man on top. He considers himself the inventor. So now all of this is just removed and replaced. Um, and I have a little clip of him talking about the the painfulness of, of the dissolution of the Rock of Fire explosion. I complain about the fact that, you know, I've lost friends who were on my payroll and they were my friends as long as they were on my payroll. And I've never had more friends as I had in 1981 and 82 when I had 325 people on the payroll. And it's true, when it was over, some of the people are still my friends and some of them aren't. But, but no matter who you are, 
no matter how cool you are, and I'm not cool, but even if you are cool and you, are, and you make friends easily, you still can only count your friends on one hand. <laughs> He's not a man that has many friends, is my feeling because it, it feels like he's always had a lot of business connections and a lot of things like that and maybe confused people's obsession or like interest in his work with i don't i don't know oh no I, it just feels like he's he can't let shit go and he's, he's stuck a very, in a time that other people yeah. have moved on from he's yeah. stuck in a time warp in fact the day that everybody was fired and that he let a lot of workers go, the warehouse is still in the exact same position. Like he left things where people just left their tools that day. Mm. He has not touched it. He's sort of just left things in their time capsuled state in this warehouse, hoping that one day the Rockefeller explosion will come back and make a resurgence. And in 2003, he married, I'm not sure they're still together, a woman named Carrie who worked at Chuck E. Cheese and was like a fan of the Rockefeller explosion as a kid. And he's still like, mm. again, his whole, he has like a premium YouTube channel. <laughs> his whole life is the Rockefeller explosion yeah. and like recapturing the, this time period where he was sort of like at at the top. Bro, it's capitalism so, is going to so capitalism. Like yeah. You made the choice to not sell your shit. So you got and to evolve over, with the times. And then you just didn't change. You took it as a slate instead of like taking your licks and going, yeah, f fuck that machine. And then just like going about your business. I don't know. Right. So in 1998, the parent company named Showbiz was dropped and replaced with CEC Entertainment. Charles Chuck Entertainment Cheese Entertainment. Yeah. yeah. There's a revival of the company, you know, the sort of early 2000s renaissance. <laughs> Was where, there? You know, yeah, that's when Chuck gets like a skater boy makeover. He gets the early his, like, 2000s? Yeah. Oh, shit. He turns into like a skater boy. It's it's a good time to be a rat. There's all those um, very famous. It's a good famous... time to be a rat? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> also... In the years leading up to the rat renaissance. Um, rat renaissance, get out of here. Yeah. There's a short-lived um, tuxedo chuck period <laughs> where the characters are like seen walking around in tuxedos. It's good. They phased that out, but I tuxedo chuck might be my favorite. He has like a bowler hat. That's your chuck? Yeah. Yeah. In 1999, Funimation Productions distributed a live action Chuck E. Cheese movie. And the premise for it. Mm, uh. Yeah. Okay, allow me to set the scene. Chuck E. Cheese, Jasper T. Jowls, Helen Henney, okay. and, and Mr. Munch are all sitting around a table taking their lunch break or something when their boss, like the, the Italian guy, the only human character in the band. The pizza man. Pasquale. Yeah. He wanders up. Let's oh. see, what, what is the, the opening um, premise for this movie? Hello, gang. Thanks for coming. Hey, you sons of bitches. I think you all know a Charlie Rocket. Yeah, hey, Joe, we've seen him around the neighborhood. Yeah, hi, hi Charlie. Charlie. Hey, guys. He Charlie like is Mario. the reason I called this meeting tonight. He has a little problem. Oh, no. What's the problem? It's a simple. Charlie, he's in a bind. He needed some dough. Well, why do you need us, Pasquale? You've got more dough than anyone in town. Jasper, Pasquale's not talking about the kind of dough you make pizza with. He means the other dough. Oh, I get it. Keep it going. Dough, a deer, a female deer. Pray a drop of golden sun. But why do you need a female deer, Charlie? Well, actually... He needs a cash. Not <laughs> the deer. 
He needed cash. Oh, moolah. Why didn't you say so? Come on, gang. Cough it up. No holding back. I've got two dollars. Ooh, wait. A ten spot. Hey, look. I've got a fiver, but I have a feeling that Charlie needs more than this. You're right, the Chucky. Charlie, he need a fifty thousand dollars. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, first of all. The way that is shot is so... Weird. In the uncanny valley. It's very yes. strange. Whoa. First of all, they're all lying about knowing who Charlie Rocket is. Right in the beginning, where Pasquale walks up and he's like, you guys know who Charlie Rocket is, huh? And then there's like a long pause and uh. everyone goes, yeah. Yeah. They don't know. Don't None know of them know who Charlie the fuck Rocket. that boy is. Yeah. He needs $50,000 to repair his grandparents' tractor engine which seems what? like too much money to me for a tractor engine repair. So I don't know what yeah. sort of scheme Pasquale and Charlie Rocket have cooked up between the two of them, but I don't trust it. It's heroin. And now, okay, for some reason, it's it's the job of, of the animatronic band to come up with the money for this boy to pay for his tractor. And I don't, I don't know where they're going to get this money from, but Pasquale has an idea. They can enter a race, a space race, on the planet Orion called the Galaxy 5000. What? Pasquale has done the race himself five times to be exact, so he's, he's well acquainted. How are they going to get to space to compete in this space race and win the $50,000 for Charlie Rocket's space engine? <laughs> I guess Pasquale has some rainbow vortex adventure machine he keeps under the restaurant or something. I don't fucking know. First, Chucky and the gang have to perform a musical number, which Jasper T. Jowles does not participate in because he's too busy being seen reading Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. What the fuck? I found that rather odd. What? <laughs> <laughs> but then after what? after the musical number, the team used the Rainbow Adventure Machine to get to the planet Orion, and now they're up against the ex-pirates, who are our two German bozos that have been juicing, I'm sorry, zooming to help them win space races, because Dr. Zoom has been giving the ex-pirates Zoom gas to help them win, which makes them better at racing, but more stupid. What the fuck? They're accelerating at a, at a at a rate we cannot even perceive. And uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at some point in the film, um Helen Henny gets kidnapped and and we find out the secret ingredient of Zoom gas. Yeah. Cheese. Hit the clip. <laughs> You're going to hate this. Guess the main ingredient? I doubt you could. It's extract of chicken and it's finger licking good. What? It's a blast. What the fuck? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. What the fuck? Dude, these German dudes are like barely wearing shirts. They're dancing around a Oh, fucking they're excellent. They're dancing around a Tesla coil talking about how they're going to extract the chicken. The animatronic chicken that they have. They're torturing with this scene. Yeah. What the fuck they, am I looking at? They need to farm Helen Henny for her sweet chicken juices to make their Zoom gas this is fast. The, this is the most insane shit yeah. I've ever seen. She manages to escape pretty easily, though, and beat up Dr. Zoom with a frying pan. Good. At a certain point, like Chucky, he needs to have a scene where he 
um, departs from the rest of his team and has like a come to Jesus moment. And he finds this hermit living underneath a cave named like Harry the Hermit, sure. who is yeah, just yeah. a Scottish version of Pasquale that like, you know, teaches him the benefit of like meditation and shit. <laughs> Um, and yeah, then he goes back and like, they all win the race. Charlie Rocket gets his fucking money. And then it, it, it ends like this. And I apologize in advance. And now it's time to shout. Happy, happy. Jump to the sky. Laugh. All our kids away. We feel so right that we could fly. We're gonna shout. Happy, happy. Jump to the sky. Laugh. Okay. I feel like this was put together by a very early version of like a, a, a data processing algorithm or something like statistical correlation yes. box or some shit. Yeah. Holy fuck. Um, their ship is called the Songbird. It's it's all so beautiful and chaotic. Galaxy 5000 is also like an early uh, like vi video game, like space racing video game. Okay. So it makes sense. Like they use yeah, yeah. a video game concept in their direct-to-video film which is called by the way the official title because i never said it Chuck E. cheese in the galaxy 5000 a fucking i mean pasquale looks like mario yeah like he super does. mario like and he's got like attributes of like willy wonka yeah right like it's just this i don't trust pasquale for a second fuck no he's selling dope with Sound, it sounds like he could rocket. afford to pay for the fifty thousand dollars too yeah. i'm just saying yeah so the company Chuck E. Cheese, they they release this direct to home video, whatever. They have their little two thousands renaissance. Fucking space guineas. Yeah, and then they they slowly <laughs> go downhill from there. They plot along for another decade, but by twenty twelve they hit another sales slump, and it's time for yet another reinvention. Yeah. And this is when they would phase out the Chuck E. Cheese of the past, pretend that he never even existed. You know, the great grandmother and great grandfather that he referenced. Yeah. Like these family members that he talks about. Forget all about it. He's not a rat from New Jersey. He's now a rock star mouse voiced from the guy from Bowling for Soup, who's an orphan who grew up in St. Marinera's orphanage and didn't have a birthday. So he enjoys celebrating other people's birthdays. And it's like, OK, <laughs> But like Chucky did have a family. He had an origin story. Now you're just wiping him clean. You're telling him he's a different species. He's got the same name, but you're just who is he? He he's a he's a fucking shapeshifter. He's a shell. Y yes. He's an idea. Ideas can never die. Yeah. I guess at some point in his origin story, um, he like runs away from the orphanage and takes shelter in a pizzeria, and that's when Pasquale finds him, and Pasquale is about to kill him. Like with a uh, um, rolling pin. And that's when Chucky starts singing and Pasquale realizes, oh my God, this mouse has a beautiful singing voice. I can exploit him. I'm not going to murder him. I'm going to employ him as an entertainer in my pizzeria instead. Which, you know, like, so is Chucky paid for his labor? Who is he? He's again, he's he's just a he's just a little animal. He's just a little puppet. He's literally just a puppet. <laughs> literally. It's really just fine to just to still be just totally racist against Italians, huh? I guess so. Like, holy shit. What the fuck? It's fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> come the fucking come on, man. So not even a rock star orphan mouse could save Chuck E. Cheese because it, it would end up, 
getting scooped up by a private equity firm called Apollo Global Management and a leveraged buyout for about a billion dollars. Jesus Christ. Which a leveraged buyout means that the company was purchased partly with the money of the private equity firm and partly with borrowed money. And right. the okay. borrowed money turns into debt that the OG company is then responsible for paying. Yeah, sure, not sure, the, sure. the equity firm. Yeah. Which means that now Chuck E. Cheese doesn't have any damn money. So now they're just a billion dollars in debt. And in, in trying to keep up with their debt, they retire all the animatronics, they get away with the token system, blah, blah, blah. None of these things help. Things only get worse for them when Shane Dawson decides to step on the scene and popularize a pizza conspiracy in one of his stupid videos. Thanks a lot. Don't you have a cat to fuck Shane Dawson? I don't know who this man is. <laughs> he put out like this. I heard he uh, fucked a cat though. No. <laughs> he joked that he came on a cat, but he did far what? worse things than that. What? Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him either, but he popularizes this like conspiracy that Chuck E. Cheese's uses old pizzas that like aren't eaten, like people's leftover slices and then reconfigures them into a Frankenstein pizza to sell to people. I'm sure it's happened. That basically describes the whole business model of Chuck E. Cheese, which is a Frankenstein of other people's things yeah, leftovers yeah, yeah, yeah. put together. Yeah. But that's that's not accurate. They don't sell they, they don't give people other people's leftover pizzas. But when you look at a picture of it, I can see why people thought that. Because I guess they cut the dough when it's like really hot. Mm. So it, it misshapes it and it oh, looks like all of the... They take the dough out of the oven early. Yeah. Ooh. It's not good pizza. No, of course not. Yeah. Another way that they try to keep the business alive is through um Pasquale's Pizzeria. So like through COVID when, you know, nobody's going in a fucking Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. They do the whole um ghost kitchen thing where they they start advertising on DoorDash and these delivery services, Pasquale's homemade pizza. But it's actually just Ooh. Chuck E. Cheese pizzas, but Holy in a different shit. box and with like slightly better ingredients. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Which to me is, is even more sinister because it tells me that this Pasquale character who's like totally um, just exploiting Chuck E. Cheese for, for his entertainment yeah, yeah, yeah. is now like, you know what? I don't even need you anymore. I don't even need them. I can, I can just sell pizzas on my own on fucking DoorDash, put my own name on it. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So the company continues losing money. Eventually, they declare bankruptcy like yet again in 2020 because, you know, like pandemics, indoor playgrounds, they don't go together. Yeah, their upscaled versions of Chuck E. Cheese pizza in the form of Pasquale's is not enough to offset like, you know, the debt so yeah bankruptcy it is they decide you know they're ready to restructure and and now in the year of our lord 2023 going into 2024 i guess we just have to wait and see what the future of the business will be because to me even though it's gone through so many different iterations we had tuxedo chuck we had cigar chuck we now we have rockstar chuck like it it's been almost 50 years i don't see it going away I think that we're going to watch yeah. this, this mouse, this rat, like continue to transform in a variety of ways. Oh God. It's almost like it's, it's almost like this like virus within the capitalist system, like in, <laughs> within the mechanized system. It's just this like per perpetual motion subroutine that's yes. running underneath it. What the fuck? He hasn't quite caught up to the modern time. That's the thing. Chuck E. Cheese, he needs to be either like one step ahead of the trends in order to like keep it fresh, like at the very beginning. Yeah. Or 
I think keep it what it originally was and keep it like three steps behind. Bring back the animatronics. Make it like a, a novelty place that people would like. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? What you do is you fucking, you drop the pizza. That's what you drop. Yep. Right? You drop the pizza, you invest full on in the animatronics and also integrating artificial intelligence within animatronics. You strive to make the first like autonomous band. Yeah. Right? Like something like truly like that, that... You want something that patrons can interact with. You want to be the first people that yeah. blow minds with robotic characters that are powered by artificial intelligence interacting with the audience. Speaking of which, there was for a time a certain segment of animatronic bands that incorporated an improv element to their routine. Yeah, where yeah. They were actually, it wasn't a pre-recorded routine, but there were voice actors behind the stage that would then interact with the audience between songs. So people would have the experience of having a live back and forth like with an animatronic puppet. And it would like blow kids' minds that they could talk to these puppets and they would talk back in real time but it was because there was an actual performer right like piloting this puppet so yeah i love the idea of using animatronics using um computer programmed engineering to like move things into the future and play with the boundaries of entertainment you you'd gain a soul by leaning into the soullessness yes like gain a, a reason for fucking being a, a point a point yeah. to you right like <laughs> right which is like it seems like for the, like the whole Chuck E. Cheese thing it's like it's there is no point to it it's just an attention trap it's just a thing that sustains itself because it has brand recognition that's yeah. the only reason it's surviving is because sure. of its well, and brand it also recognition seems like it was engineered to just have these attention traps just right. like, like the whole thing with well, the whole gaming the, aspect of it too the pizza is, pizza because you can mechanize pizza creation Right. right. Like it, it's that an build out, schedule, though, that build schedule, like it's an actual out. The animatronics came first and the whole like thinking of it as a restaurant is like it. It's a very clear example of like the dangers of cybernetics that Norbert Wiener was like talking about, mm -hmm. like poking, poking through and poking into other areas that it, it has no fucking right being. Right. You know, at this point, it's like, why the fuck? At least at the beginning, I don't know. Why did Chuck E. Cheese ever exist? I love the idea of like the band. The animatronics are really what made it. So the fact that those aren't even there anymore. Yeah. Just like kills the entire thing for me to be like what's what are we doing here unless you're if your business doesn't have to do now anything with like cutting edge technology or like moving things forward i get it they probably have updated their arcade games they're like working with people that make um like children friendly games because that's the thing when you have a child business model it's great because you're never losing your market your market just gets older and gets interested in other things, but there's always more kids. So as long as you can keep up with what kids like, you can continue to exist. And kids yeah. will always love arcade games. You just might need more minion arcade games or whatever new cartoon characters to incorporate into your arcade games. Yeah, yeah. To keep it contemporary. But it's just not original is the thing. It feels like now it is recursive like they're just oh we got rid of the animatronics we added in like a light up dance floor yeah like yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, we have youtube videos of dances that we do now if it was about characters and like telling a story there'd never be a rat selling you pizza <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Which is the big difference between that and Rock of Fire Explosion, which has so much more of a fan base built around the characters, built around people that grew up like creating fan art, creating stories around these characters. Yeah. Well, yeah. And because uh, like 
that's like it's ridiculous and i'm not i'm not about to be like oh this is cool or whatever i think it's fucking insane and i'm scared of that man but that's that's a work of art that that motherfucker made right like whatever yeah. i think about it those are his characters that he created and they mean something to him because they reflect a fucking part of his soul right. and shit you know well as for aaron fector and creative engineering on the morning of september 26 2013 the city of orlando was rocked by an explosion a, a rock a fire explosion if you will <laughs> Um, if, if you would, please play this um, news clip. The owner of a downtown Orlando warehouse, the site of a dangerous lunchtime blast, leaves the building after cleaning up and being questioned by authorities. That blast blew off the entire side of the warehouse and sent panicked workers running along Jefferson Street near Orange Avenue. Last year, Stephanie Culp there. And Stephanie, you spoke with the inventor whose experiment may have been to blame. Yeah, that's exactly right, Sam. I spoke to the owner of the building very briefly. He didn't want to tell us much because he was too upset about the explosion. But as you can see behind me, the city of Orlando code enforcement is still here on scene. This is the front of the building. Really wasn't too badly damaged. In the back right now, crews are working to board up the building. That's where most of the damage was done. Yeah. Experimental cooking fuel causes explosion. Yup. He was playing around with something called hydrillium, an experimental fuel, a hydrogen-based fuel. Um, <laughs> he called it the fuel of the future, and he would use it to, like, cook burgers for people. Any, like, super fans that wanted to come and tour the warehouse, that's how he was making money for some time, is, like, not only with his premium YouTube channel, but also, like, hey, if you're a super fan, I'll come give you a tour of the factory and cook you one of my burgers with my experimental fuel source that's going to explode this factory. I think hydrogen drives people insane. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So there was like a little explosion there. Not not little. It, it was actually very big yeah. and very scary and like really terrified people. Luckily, nobody died. Now, to keep the rock of fire explosion alive, despite kids having no fucking clue who they are, we do have Five Nights at Freddy's, which has created this oh, new yeah. hype around animatronics. So Fector keeps things alive. Um, I don't know shit about that. Yeah, he'd have kids come for like themed birthday parties at his nearly abandoned creative engineering headquarters and show them around, like show them the creepy animatronics and like do a show for them, then shut off all the lights. Ah. Like, you know, capitalize on all, all these kids are interested okay. in, you know, whatever. So yet, despite the belovedness of the Rock of Fire explosion, like I said, it's interesting to me that their creator has such a tarnished reputation and, and that also these characters are, are just sort of trapped in limbo now. They're He's a all, weird guy. Yeah, there are all these people that want to do things with the characters. Like, there was this place that opened up a karaoke bar. They wanted to program the, their own Rock of Fire explosion to, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. do karaoke with it. Have it linked with a karaoke machine and have people be able to do that with the band. But Aaron shot it down because he doesn't want his character saying curse words. Oh. it's He's very old-fashioned that way. Bro. Yeah. That's a great idea. Right? Karaoke with the robots? Come on now. So yeah, sh Showbiz Pizza, like it still technically exists because they are technically, it's it's been wrapped up into the Chuck E. Cheese machine. So it's now this, this whole one big thing yeah, yeah. and it still exists. But like I said, it's a shadow of its former self these days. And yet the characters, the legacy and the nostalgia remains. And that's why all of this fandom and community is for the 80s 
and 90s versions of these characters and for something that's gone like the fanfare isn't around what exists now it's what existed then okay but we have to say like we don't know what'll exist in 20 years we absolutely don't like i'm thrilled at the possibility it might just be the same pattern you know kids it's the same strange people that pass through those filters end up well attached to that i think that's a perfect time for you to play this last clip all right I am like the Ouroboros. I contain cycles. I am a narrative tool. What did that mean? (laughs) That's it. (laughs) What does that mean? You have no idea, buddy. I am like the (laughs) Ouroboros. I am a narrative device. I contain cycles. How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) How dare you? This late in the game to just... Yeah, he's quoting somebody else who made like a meme video of him. He's responding to some YouTuber. Oh, he literally doesn't know what that means. Yeah, but the fact that like he's parroting those words back because she made a graphic of of him saying those words like this is this whole thing. It's like the Ouroboros. It is just narrative cycles. The whole animatronics, the gaming industry, the automatons, cybernetic feedback loop. Right, because it's the characters. The story is secondary. Yeah. The first thing is automation, the spirit of automation, right? right? The character that automation uh, occupies in our collective psyche, mm-hmm. right? That's the first, that's the real Chuck E. Cheese. That's the, that's the devil, this right? idea Like that's that, the fucking devil. Yeah. Um, Sometimes once you create something, it's also not fully in your control anymore. Right. And like, you see, like there's two opposite sides, both fucking problematic. One gets well they're both in debt but like you've got the chuck e cheese which is it is a ghost it yeah. has no core right it is adaptability itself automation itself feedback itself right and that's what allows it to keep spinning and spinning and spinning in the same the machine's spinning in place right, right? despite like, the fact that they've and, gone under like twice and are massively in debt and yeah. really d- it doesn't seem to be a business model that's willing that can sustain itself for longer than five years at a time yeah sort of in like a in a, in a weirdo sense, like it exists on the plane of Yetzera. It's a, it's a machine within the intellectual space, mm-hmm. despite like no one's buying pizza from a fucking rat anymore in a big old, big old room. Right. But because it's the spirit of just like automated entertainment, it just spins. Yeah, because it never was about the pizza. It was never about about how good the entertainment was or how how good the food was. It's about the novelty of the whole thing. Pizza fit a statistical model. Right. So now that Chuck E. Cheese has been stripped of of its, its novelty... Like, what is it even there for? To consume. Precisely. <laughs> and it does. And then versus you've got the other side of the equation is Aaron Fector, who exhibits the opposite problem, an inability to let go of the creation. Right. To allow the creation to interact with the loops of the world. and mm-hmm. To let his fans, like, maybe make some funny videos of his characters and yeah. see what they come and, up with. I mean, not, like, not to psychoanalyze, but it kind of, like, fucking betrays a... Um, uh, a, f- a fear of the ability to do a good thing twice like right. you know what i mean like yeah the uh, lack of confidence tried- in the in your ability to keep existing on equal footing with the world yeah you know? he tried to make like this this new version of whack-a-mole that would be his own called bashy bug but he's like creating this in, in 2010 ish i'm probably wrong about that date but he's making things like in the 2010s, but he's using an Apple II to program it. Like, he's not willing to yeah, keep up with the times. Yeah, you're, you're done for. Right. Sorry, but it's just true. 
how you could believe that you're not done for in that case is insane to me. So Chuck E. Cheese, it's willing to keep up with the times, but it, it's just matching the pace, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not even very well. And yet it it sustains itself. And I think part of what sustains it, like I said, is this like massive weird lore behind it. And that's really the most interesting thing about it is how it, how it's even there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why it's there. Yeah. I mean, thinking like learning about pizza and pipes and shit and like really connecting the idea that, oh, pizza is a mass producible food. Mm-hmm. That's a profitable fucking food, right? Because it can scale, because you can do it, you can automate it. Right? Kids love it. Kids love it. I fucking love it. Pizza's amazing. I fucking love it. Wish yeah. I had some right now. Hell yeah. That idea leading to animatronics, which operate from the same principle, it's like inevitable right? that it happens. And like, ah, man, is it time to talk about the tarot? Oh, yeah. So the devil in this case, I'm thinking about it like I'm, I'm thinking about it in like both the uh, Crowley's description, which Crowley's description of the devil is um, probably my favorite change in the in the tarot between the Thoth deck and the Rider Waite Smith. It's not necessarily a change. It's just another side of the card that the the, the pretty positive side, mm-hmm. which is much very much about the mountain goat, Capricorn, the ability to engage with the physicality of the world, the processes inherent in the fucking world, right? In in material fucking space, the way the yeah. goat leaps up the mountain and shit, the way like you can become master of your animal impulses and shit, or you can become slave to them. But there's also, there's a fucking balance between giving in completely to the rhythms and, and loops of the world versus not allowing yourself any uh, contamination from the feedback loops and, and um, cycles of the world. Mm-hmm. And both of those are chains around you. Are, yeah. are the devil's chains, right? Like uh, an unhealthy, toxic relationship with the cycles of the world creates problems in both both fucking directions. And like since Chuck E. Cheese was founded with original sin, it's, it's just a dark business in general. Oh, yeah. Let me buy this suit. Uh, this is a rat suit. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Or this is a fucking coyote. Right? Like it didn't look anything like a coyote. The Let secret me- ingredient is not love. It's automation. Yeah. <laughs> Just I had no idea of any of that. I've never like thought about animatronics in entertainment and from that perspective before from a and wild. It shouldn't shit. have to be because I think it should be something that's like really fun and inspiring. I think and, so, too. Yes. Yeah. And should be like, I don't know, an, an expression, an extension of, of human life. Right. Because it's not it's also not like the first animatronics. Right. It's just. A cancerous outgrowth of animatronics. Yes. Right? Like Chuck E. Cheese is a fucking cancer. It's uh, a cancer of the, cybernetics run rampant. The 80s show tapes, like when you go back and listen to these things, they're so funny though. Like it's just so absurd that because you can tell it's just like five adults that have been like probably drinking and smoking and bullshitting, like yeah. just improving and coming up with stupid shit. And then they're like, yeah, throw that in. That's that's good enough. We'll just loop that 20 minutes. That's good. And we'll make a new one every couple months. Make another new show tape. We'll get together. We'll party. We'll come up with more stupid bullshit. (laughs) Man. That's the other thing, too, is the original Chucky. He's so mean. Like, that's the thing. If I wouldn't want to take my kids to these shows because all the characters at the original shows... I guess that's part of what makes it entertaining is they're so rude to each other. That's the the whole humor in it is that they're insulting each other. I'll tell you what's going on. It's lazy. You're not from the socioeconomic group that was determined to provide the best uh, returns um, with this style of humor. 
Right? Yeah. They looked at what's selling, what style of humor is selling in these markets that they're targeting. Like, this is a motherfucker that was working for the people who were the early adopters of that style of thinking. Right. It, it appeals to your basis natures. It appeals to the devil in you. Yeah, right? it yeah. felt like things, they were making shows that would be funny to the adults making them, not to the children watching them. They'd be attention traps yes in in all directions to the kids just by virtue of being funny characters and, and to the and disarming yeah yeah that's yeah, the yeah. thing the whole show the nature of it the content the aesthetic the looks of it it is disarming like you said it's like oh this is uncanny i can't look away because it feels right. slightly dangerous right, right. <laughs> fucking exactly dude it's a it's a it's black magic to engage your nervous system and like i'll bet dallas fucking donuts they're aware of that <laughs> like yes. knowing the year and what else was going on in that part of the world at the 1983. time. 1983. I mean, fucking 77. I mean, this is like human potential movement in full fucking swing. This is that. This is when people are thinking about that shit. Right. About how attention and consciousness works and shit. Yeah, some evil bastard made a then, pizza place about it. Also think about, you only get so many birthdays in your lifetime too. You right. only get so many birthdays as Dude. a child. So, oh, good so fucking what, point. What if... <laughs> that's a good fucking point. <laughs> even if one of your birthdays is at a Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. now that's a defining moment of your entire life. Fucking straight up, dog. So, straight up. <laughs> they did a good job there. Yep. God damn. Yeah. This is dark shit. <laughs> it's Holy fun, though. It is. Yeah. I ain't yeah. gay. God. Cause should we just take a listen to, to a little bit of the rock why, fire why, explosions? I ain't gay. Why don't we play us out on that? Let's do it. Let me right. pop in the link. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We're recording this on uh, New Year's Eve. I've been drinking whiskey the whole time. Um, happy New Year's. Happy and, New Year's. Yeah. If you like what you do, uh, we have a bonus show on our Patreon. It's called the Corkboard Bazaar. It's a loser. We talk about some bullshit. We also have a Discord server for our patrons. Uh, we're doing psychic experiments, just talking about all sorts, all sorts of wacky things. It's a good time. You can get access to all that for five dollars a month at Patreon.com/slash/TheNonsenseBazaar. Follow us on social media. I think we're both like kind of posting less on social media. And oh yeah, Discord more. But um, yeah, leave us a rating review. You know what to do. Happy fucking New Year's. Thanks for thanks for sticking with us into twenty twenty four. I hate that, like, I have, I, I also have symbolic associations with New Year's. Oh, yeah. You ever feel like that? Like, well, now Chuck E. Cheese is there. forever tied in with New Year's Eve. Yeah, but are we, are we leaving the year of the rat or entering the year of the rat? The year of the rat. We're leaving the, the year of the bunny, actually. That's fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> are we entering the year of the rat? <laughs> When's the year of the rat? I need to be. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look it up. <laughs> If it's the if it's rat year, I'm gonna lose it. Yeah. It's the year of the dragon. Fuck yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We need a dragon oh. year. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care of yourselves. Peace. Peace. <clears throat> Test one two. Hey, is this mic on? Yeah, yeah, you're on, Billy Bob. Okay, good. Well, howdy, folks. I'm Billy Bob, and I get asked one question more than any other, and I decided to answer that question in a song. Hit it. It's a girl if I find the right what? one I hope to give it a whirl And all them rumors that I've got a kid I was supposed to play us out but I just What the fuck? <laughs> wow Well Enjoy that
Enjoy. <laughs>